Welcome to the Trinity Radio Podcast. This podcast has a video component found at youtube.com slash Braxton Hunter. This means you might miss some visual aspects of the show, but it shouldn't have a serious negative effect. We'd love it if you'd run over to the YouTube channel real quick and subscribe. And if you enjoy this content, do us a favor. Take a moment to give us a five-star review on iTunes and mention a couple of things you like about the podcast. If you really appreciate the show, you can help make it better and get extra content for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash trinity radio. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm so glad you're here. You're on the channel, the Christian channel that loves atheists. And today we're going to be interacting with a video made by James Fodor, who is responding to us at Trinity Radio as it relates primarily to the Kalam, but also a number of other things. So it should be fun, and I hope that you'll stick with us throughout the video. I expect it's going to be a bit lengthy. In this video, they picked a whole bunch of fairly lowball. I mean, some of the questions were okay. Some of them were not so good. I picked out some of the more interesting ones. But, you know, they're not the best articulated things. They're just YouTube comments. Do you think it's an accident they picked out those and then shoot those down? Maybe that makes better viewing than trying to respond to, you know, Alex Melpass or, or um, Oppie or, you know, even some of my videos. I'm doing something a little bit old school here. I'm just playing the video and commenting as it goes. Um, typically, I cut the video up into the relevant clips I want to respond to and play those whenever it's time. I'm just going to let this thing play and respond kind of... I found out about this about two hours ago. Uh, uh, someone, uh, Digital Gnosis, I think, uh, sent me a link to it uh, through Facebook Messenger. And so I decided, hey, uh, that looks pretty good. It looks like everything he's saying are things I like to talk about. So uh, I thought a little bit about it and grabbed a video uh, of a physicist talking that we'll get to eventually. But other than that, no real preparation. I'm, ju I'm just going to play it. And um, I thought about things, I guess, the first time I heard it a little bit. But um, really, this is just kind of off the cuff. We'll see how it goes. And let's just go ahead and begin right now. Hello, everyone. Uh, sorry, apparently when I set up this stream, it sort of created it on YouTube and had people waiting. I didn't realize it worked like that. I thought it would only appear when I actually went live. But anyway, uh, if there's anyone still watching, your patience has been rewarded. So today I'm going to be talking about a video that Braxton just released, um, you know, from, from Trinity Radio, my good friend, uh, in which he actually responded to something that I said uh, in one of my vi recent videos, although he doesn't mention me by name, uh, as, as we'll see in a moment, but it's, it's very clearly um, one of my videos. So th this one here is about, uh, hang on, let me make it a bit bigger, the most common YouTube comments on the Kalam. Uh, so Braxton is uh, punching up as always and uh, focusing on the biggest and most important most weighty objections to the Kalam cosmological argument scraped from youtube comments uh, i think he's he's uh... yeah this is one of the snarky comments we get here uh there are a number of snarky comments made by our friend james fodor um but that's okay because pritchett makes a lot of snarky comments generally i do too but we do notice him here, here uh, kind of bemoaning the fact that i'm responding to youtube commenters rather than someone else but um, but but yeah, the reason I'm responding to YouTube commenters here is because guess what? I happen to be a YouTuber. And as a result, I interact a lot with other people on the platform YouTube. 
And when people make comments, when a large number of people make comments, it informs me that, hey, this seems to be an issue that the general public who happen, the, the atheists in the general public don't seem to be aware of the response to this. So this would actually be a helpful thing to respond to. Now, I've responded to obscure details in in like uh, in Graham Oppie's book, Arguing About Gods or something. And, uh, you know, those videos uh, for the people that are that are have read that book or are aware of that criticism. I'm sure that's helpful to them in some way. But what's going to be helpful to a large number of people is what a large number of people are basically screaming out to me they need help with, which are mistaken understandings about how apologists use the Kalam. So, yeah, I'm going to respond to what YouTube commenters say. I happen to be a YouTuber, uh, but let's keep trucking now. Taking a leaf out of um, Cameron's uh book from Capturing Christianity, who I think did a similar, at least some of the videos I've responded to on uh, his channel. Also look at the uh, top scholarship on the atheist side by uh, scraping up YouTube comments. Um, James, you do understand that uh, Capturing Christianity has literally had people like Alex Malpass and Graham Oppie and others like on their show talking themselves and asking them questions. So the idea that a YouTuber who covers or has those people on their show might occasionally respond to their actual audience isn't that surprising, I don't think. Not that there aren't some good YouTube comments, of course. But anyway, so this is a fairly long video. I'm not going to respond to everything, but there are a few points here and there on the Kalam that I wanted to touch on, particularly when he responded to some of my remarks. Um, so uh, let me make a start. I've got a few uh, timestamps that I want to look at. Let me know if the sound's working as always. Let us start. By the way, I apologize for this. I've got to fly to Sarasota tomorrow um, to be on someone else's podcast live in person. Pritchett's going with me. And so, I, again, I, I didn't have enough time to split these video clips up. So you're going to hear a lot of, oh, you're going to hear everything that he says. I think I did cut out one small section where he goes about something, but I'm linking the video in the description. So if you think I'm cutting it out, for some reason, you can go check the whole video, watch the whole video, think about it, listen to what I've said. That's all fine. But I'm going to be a little bit casual today. Um, you might see me taking a drink of this uh, cup from, I won't say who, no name, um, fast food restaurant who has not yet decided to endorse our program. We're looking at you, Wendy. And so you may see me being a little bit more casual today, but we're just going to kick back and enjoy this. So have at it, James. Uh, just to clarify this video here so they go through a bunch of comments that they've found and also you know there's super chats and so forth so i'm just going to jump around a little bit so i don't claim to comment on everything just um taking a few points that i think are of interest mostly related to the column cosmological argument so let's start with this one here now let's make that big without a biological or mechanical brain these uh let's see what we got here okay now explain how intelligence can exist without a biological or mechanical brain well, as uh, so let's just do this real quick. I'm sure that most of you are already somewhat familiar, but the Kalam cosmological argument is everything that begins to exist must have a cause for its existence. The universe began to exist, therefore the universe must have a cause for its existence. That gets you to a point where people, if they're persuaded by the argument, they say, okay, now, so the universe, we, we need to have a cause for the universe coming into being because everything that begins to exist, the universe has a beginning. So, um, so then what do we do? Well, if we're talking, when we say the universe, we're talking about all space, time, and matter, then the cause must be spaceless, timeless, and non-material because if it were those things, you have something bringing itself into existence, which doesn't work. So um, spaceless, timeless, non-material. And there are things like that, like abstract abstractions, like numbers and laws of logic and things like that. But those things are descriptive. They don't, they don't cause anything to happen, right? So you need something that has causal powers and can cause something to happen that is spaceless, uh, non-material, 
and uh, and timeless. And what would fit the bill? Well, in a state state like that of spaceless. So uh, I've said this many times before, but the Kalam does not establish that the cause of the universe can't have been material. That's a further assumption or uh, argument that needs to be given, which uh, Braxton's discussed in other videos and I've discussed then, but he doesn't really give it here. But it's just really important to be clear about in any given uh, instance of the Kalam being you know, articulated as an argument, what exactly has been established. So again, uh, the, the Kalam does establish, obviously, if you believe both premises, which I, I don't, but again, uh, for the purpose of argument, let's just accept both premises. Uh, the Kalam will establish that there's a, a cause which has to exist outside of space and time. So obviously it has to be non-temporal and non-spatial and it has to have causal powers because it's got to have, a, it's got to be a cause, right? Uh, but, but that's all the Kalam strictly establishes without further, further argument. Um, so the, the questioner here is asking a good question. Okay, so we've established that there is a non-spatial, non-temporal causal power uh, that exists outside the universe that it was able to bring the universe into existence according to the conclusion of the Kalam. So why does that, well, uh, you can ask why would that have to be an intelligence or the way that this question is formulated, how can you even have an intelligence without, you know, a biological mechanical brain? Okay, so I just, that's where we're at so far and I'm, uh, being critical of Braxton here saying that it's established that the cause can't be material because uh, then you have to, uh, that relies on the assumption that there can't be any material entity outside of space and time, which I think is probably false, although we don't know that yet. Obviously, we, it, it's a bit hard to study that, uh, but our best quantum theories of gravity, I think, are leaning towards the fact that space-time is sort of emerges from lower level quantum processes. So I think plausibly, um, sans, space, sans the space-time continuum that makes up the universe, um, there existed some sort of material quantum something or other uh, which existed outside of space and time but nevertheless was material. That's speculative, but I think it's quite plausible. Um, so that's not been established. But nevertheless, let's hear what Braxton has to say. In well, before we hear what Braxton has to say, um, just so let's remember we're I'm going to remember my time mark here so I can come back to this. But um, let's hear what a physicist has to say about whether you can have matter without space and time. Let's just uh, take a look. Hi, Space Lab. I'm Matt Kleban. I'm an associate professor of physics at New York University, and I'm here to answer your questions. The second question is, can matter exist without space? That's a very good question and a very hard question. And the honest answer is, we don't know for sure. But what we can say is that we... Now, for those of you that get really excited that he says we don't know for sure, just wait have a theory that relates matter to space and actually to time as well. And although we don't think that theory is an exact description of the world, it's the best one we've got. And that theory is called general relativity. It's the theory that Albert Einstein in 1916 or so uh, first discovered. And according to Einstein, there's an equation, well, actually a set of equations called Einstein's equations, which relate matter to space and time. And it turns out it's possible to solve those equations when there's no matter. You could have zero matter and zero energy, but still have space and time. But it's not possible to solve those equations uh, when you have matter, but without space and time. So in other words, you can have space and time without matter, but at least according to Einstein's equations, you can't have matter without space and time. Now, we don't think that's the end of the story. We don't think that's the exact uh, laws of physics. And it could be that whatever is the exact laws of physics could somehow allow matter to exist without space. But I think at least for the moment, the state of the art is no, it's as far as we know, it's, it's not possible. Okay. So Hello, everyone. Uh, as far as we know, not possible. 
I just wanted to throw that out there. He's, he thinks that it's plausible. And of course, he could be right. Uh, sounds like the, the physicist is saying like, I mean, you know, we don't like know, like, I guess he means like, we don't have like certainty about this, but um, it's looking like on the best stuff we have now that no, you, you can have space and time without matter, but it doesn't look like you can have matter without space and time. But anyway, let's get back to the video. Sans the space-time continuum that makes up the universe, um, there existed some sort of material quantum something or other uh, which existed outside of space and time, but nevertheless was material. That's speculative, but I think it's quite plausible. Um, so that's not been established. But nevertheless, let's hear what Braxton has to say in responding to this comment directly. This timeless nothingness. And Craig doesn't say this, or at least doesn't say it much. I think he did, I did hear him say it once, but I was glad to hear him say it because I've been saying it. Um, I first heard J.P. Moreland argue this way, and Andrew Loki argues this way too. Look, Andrew Loki. And that is that in a state of timeless nothingness, there is, without time and without anything, there is no determinism to work on God over a course of time to lead to, like a chain of dominoes, uh, something happening. So this would uh, have to be indeterminate. Um, but it couldn't be random because... So that's the first part of the argument. So he's saying there can't be a, you know, absent time, there can't be a causal chain. And I think I mentioned this in a previous video. Uh, this seems to be, I don't i don't know if I want to say presupposing because that's a bit strong, but it, it seems to be uh, most consistent with uh, a, um, I think it's called a relationist view of time um, or relational view of time, whereby if you have a series of events that sort of automatically counts as time. So if you had a series of causes, then that would be time. And therefore, you know, it wouldn't be outside of time. So that doesn't work. So I, I don't know if you have to go along with an idea of a, a relational view of time. Maybe you could have a series of causes that was atemporal. I'm not sure about that. But the main point is simply that why do you need a series of causes? The the Okay, so he's going to spend some time talking about a causes here and why you don't necessarily ha need to have that. The first cause could just be boom, cause without a chain. Um, but here, here's the thing. The reason that he's saying this is because I said you don't have determinism, which can work on like a series of causes, like a chain of dominoes. Um, I, I know that not every YouTuber functions this way, but to the best of my ability, because I know we're talking about issues like this. Sometimes I like to make sure I'm like terminology isn't enough to explain to the listener necessarily what we're talking about. I know that my mother listens to our show. I know that a lot of people's mothers listen to our, um, and I know that there are a lot of, uh, you know, teenagers that listen to the show too. So the, the, what I want to do is not just use terms, but explain what I mean by those terms. So there was no determinism to work on God or within God or whatever to do that. So to speak like a chain of dominoes, I'm explaining what determinism is a chain that leads to, um, a, a necessary outcome from that. So that's what we're, what I'm doing there. You could have, and in fact, I think this is frankly the way it is that God just acts. And that is the first moment of time. And it also, uh, begins a causal chain. I do believe that it's that it's an interaction like that. So what he's saying here really is irrelevant. The point is, is that act a determined one or a random one? It's not a determined one because it's still the case that in a state of timeless nothingness, there is no determinism to determine what that cause will be. Um, in the same way, if it's a state of timeless, spaceless nothingness, there's you can't have interactions happening such that you would have a random first interaction. So what does this cause have to be? It has to be in mystic, but it would also have to have libertarian freedom and not be random. So libertarian freedom is something that uh, personal agents have. 
That's the point. This business about one thing leading to the next is not the point. The point is, is it determined? Is it indeterminate? Is it random? It turns out it's indeterminate, but libertarian. That's the best explanation for this, I think. But let's uh, let's go on and keep. And, and by the way, when I offer explanations like this, it's interesting because throughout the video, James will be upset by the fact that we claim to have strong confidence about certain things having to do with um, the strength of philosophy and those sorts of things. So when I say, look, it can't be determined, it can't be a determined cause because you can't have determinism in a state of timeless nothingness. And it can't be random because you can't have randomness in a state of timeless nothingness. It has to be a libertarian choice. I don't expect him to, James, I don't expect you to buy that. Um, and it's, it's because you have a skepticism about what, what, as we're going to see, what philosophy can do for us. Although I do think we end up hearing you talk both ways about that, about the merits of philosophy, but still, I, I don't expect you to buy that. But for other listeners, um, if you have a state of timeless nothingness in a state of timelessness, you can't have things happening in a state of nothingness. There aren't interactions taking place. Now, this, again, details the difference between Lawrence Krauss sort of nothingness, which is a roiling sea of positive and negative energy and all these kind of things and philosophical nothingness, or we should say actual nothingness where there's actually nothing, no potentialities, no powers, no properties, nothing like that. So um, if you have a state like that of, and it's timeless even, um, then you just can't have determinism and you can't have randomness. There's nothing random happening. There's no time for something random to happen in. There's no time for determinism to take place. So uh, the result is going to be a libertarianly free choice. That seems, uh, I, I, I don't expect you to grant it, but I think most people watching will, will see the value in that, the virtue of that. Let's keep trucking. So the universe doesn't have to be a series of causes. It would, could just be a single cause. In fact, that's the idea about God, right? He just created. I don't think there was a, a process of creation in which he was, I mean, I guess there could have been, right? But he could have done it either way, I suppose is the point. He certainly could have just created in one go. Similarly, whatever the, the other cause of the universe was, it, it could have just been one single cause, which then brought into being space and time. Uh, after which then there was a further series of causes that you know brought about eventually maybe the Big Bang or whatever else, however else we want to say it happened. I, so my question for Braxton, why does there have to be a series of causes and effects leading to the initiation of the the universe or the it doesn't i was describing how determinism works for those listening but what i said about that works just the same whether it's um one initial cause or a change to the event of the beginning of the universe but in either case in a state of timeless nothingness you can't have determinism you can't have randomness and so the natural conclusion seems to be a libertarian choice beginning to being of the universe why can't there just be a single cause outside of time which then brings space time into existence the opposite of determinism in a lot of people's minds is you just got randomness, but you also don't have uh, space or time for random things to occur. So the the cause. Why do you need space or time for randomness to occur? Can't there be non-deterministic causes in the absence of space and time? I mean, I don't know that there are. Right? I'm not saying that we have evidence for that, but we don't have evidence either way. So how do we know what's the basis of this assertion, Braxton, that indeterministic causes can't exist outside of space and time? must have exercised libertarian freedom in bringing the universe into existence. Well, what sort of things have libertarian freedom? Minds do. That argument is not just an argument for God. It's also an argument for an intelligence independent of biology or a mechanical brain. So I'm going to give Braxton the benefit, well, not exactly the benefit of the doubt, but I'm just going to grant him that he's he has an 
independent argument in favor of the cogency of libertarian agency. I think that's actually very hard to argue for. It's a fringe view in philosophy. Now, again, just because it's a fringe view in philosophy doesn't mean you can't hold it, doesn't mean you can't defend it. But I think that that is relevant if you're going to appeal to scholarship in other areas, which certainly Braxton does, uh, and people like Craig do as well. It's, I think, worth noting if you're defending a fringe view. And uh, one of the reasons it's fringe is because I think it's very hard to make sense of libertarian agency, and there are lots of problems with it. I want to do more videos on this because I'm actually increasingly interested in this aspect of trying to understand cause. Um, because basically, I, in a nutshell, I think that the Kalam and actually probably Leibnizian as well arguments only work if you define cause in a very special way that basically only theists define it as. That is, a cause can be a relation between a substance and an event, uh, whereby a substance can bring about a causal effect, you know, sans time. And, and most analysis of causation is inconsistent with that. So you basically have to have a very special notion of cause for these arguments to even get off the ground. Now, you may argue for that, of course, but... You know okay, hold up. First of all, on libertarian freedom... Um Viewers of the channel will know that we have plenty on libertarian freedom here. I did a debate on libertarian freedom with Dan Barker uh, last year, and uh, I encourage people to check that debate out. I thought it went wonderful. Um, let me give you some literature because he says I should give you the literature. Let me give you some literature to check out on this. Um, check out uh, uh, Sam Harris's popular level book. If you're a popular level person on free will, check out um, Dan Barker's book on free will, check out Alfred Mele's free, uh, why science hasn't disproven, uh, libertarian free will, uh, or free will check out some of the other material, uh, by, uh, Hey, check out the Oxford handbook on, uh, free will because the Oxford handbook on free will is like 600, 700 pages and you get every imaginable perspective. Um, that's a great book to go. And Hey, James Oxford is in the title of that book. So I'm not specifying that it's, uh, published by Oxford, but we're, you'll see why that comment is, is relevant in just a moment, but, but check out those and read all of those. And, um, and, and then we'll have some stuff to talk about because there's a lot to talk about on this. And I will agree that among philosophers, and the reason we know this is because there was a, um, I, I don't think I have it in front of me. I have it in my debate notebook for when I debate this issue, but there was a, um, uh, uh, study done uh, of, of philosophers and graduate students in philosophy. And I can't remember, I, I always say 5,000, it could have been 3,000, somewhere between three and 5,000 um, graduate students in philosophy and um, philosophers and, and like uh, uh, professors. And what they found was that something, I, I could be wrong, I think it's like 13 point something believed in libertarian freedom. Uh, the majority believed in compatibilism, which is determinism that uses some language of free will. And, uh, and yeah, of course, the interesting thing about this was, it was like the study was like 73% atheist naturalists. And of course, free will does sit less well with, I don't think it's impossible. I'm one of the few Christians will hear say that, but it sits less well with atheist naturalism than it does, uh, substance dualism and some sort of theism. So, um, so, yeah, that's where these numbers come from, that it's in the minority. It is in the minority. However, 13 point something is, uh, I mean, yeah, you call it a fringe view, I guess. That's a substantial minority um, to talk about. That's not nothing. That's that's relevant to talk about. And, of course, I've defended libertarian free will all over this whole thing. There was something else he just said that, oh, he wants to know, uh, I, think he, I think his whole point here is, wh why should we suspect that libertarian freedom 
make sense of this, well, we don't even have any reason to believe that libertarian freedom is true. And this strikes me a bit like what the person um, asking about a biological and mechanical brain is actually asking about, which is how can that be a, how can a, a mind independent of a physical body be an answer to this when there's, we don't have any evidence of a mind independent of a physical body? How can libertarian freedom, James says, be an answer to this when you haven't demonstrated libertarian freedom? The answer to both of these questions is this argument is the way I've presented it is both um, an argument, not just for God, but it's also an argument for um, a mind independent of a physical body. And by the way, that's how Craig's answered it in at least one debate. I can't remember which one it was, but there's a, there's a debate where someone pushes him on that. And he says exactly this. This argument is also an argument for a mind independent of a body. Uh, it's also an argument for libertarian freedom because there is no other way to make this work. It's not that we just don't know. We can't imagine another way. It's that it seems that the categories funnel us down to libertarian freedom. So um, hopefully there's some answers there. The atheist can just reject that notion, of course, and I think that there's good reason to, but I, I won't fully go through that analysis here. I, I just want to say that, okay, let's just grant Braxton his libertarian agency because, of course, the, the atheist or naturalist could just say, well, why I think that such a thing even exists. But even if you grant that that, could be like that that is a thing or that could have been the course of the universe it still doesn't establish that it was the course of the universe right maybe there's libertarian agency but something else brought the universe into being maybe but as i've just given the argument i think that that is the best explanation so it it, it still hasn't been established how we can rule out other possibilities and again i i feel like a broken record where i keep bringing these up so if you think that maybe an immaterial mind brought about the universe then why not some sort of immaterial animal-like agency which um, operates according to instinct but doesn't have rationality or what about some sort of immaterial plant-like substance again not literally a photosynthesizing being but something that just sort of grows and has a natural impetus to expand or something but but doesn't have uh, even instincts in the same way that an animal is uh, or there's like the Tao, uh, sort of an immaterial moralist sort of force of nature but that's uh, beyond the natural world um, from, from Chinese philosophy or Brahman, which is kind of like a god, but not personal in the same way, usually understood at least from, from, from Indian philosophy, or perhaps it's information with causal powers, which people have argued recently. Some people even think that abstract objects can have causal powers. So there's a plethora of options on the table here that are at least possible. Okay, what were the options that he laid out? Something that has, okay, he laid out some of the Eastern ideas, Brahman and things like that, um, that are impersonal. Um, but then, but then he mentions some kind of an animalistic thing and he's careful to say, I don't mean like, or plant based, but he must not mean plant based. He means something that, that, that it's, I guess he's saying that it's consciousness or, um, whatever isn't like a person. It's more instinct. So there's something that in a spaceless, timeless state, is personal, but not too personal. And maybe personal isn't even the right word, but just has sort of a, an impulse or a, a, an inclination, an instinct to cause the universe to come into existence. Um, well, that really, what, that doesn't sound like atheism. Uh, that doesn't sound like uh, naturalism. That doesn't sound like, uh, like really doesn't sound like, it sounds like some kind of theism, right? I mean, you even mentioned some other things. So, Give me so line those up, argue for those. I'm interested. Lay them out. Answer them. Of course, now remember this isn't part of the Kalam, but then you're gonna also need to explain how those forces also account for the fine-tuning of the universe, uh, and other things that really do seem like they need um a personal and intelligent 
mind, even with just what you've got, some sort of animal plants cause, you're going to need something that is, is able to cause the universe in such a way that it's successful, I guess, or, or, um, it, it uh, can allow for continued existence or something. I mean, basically I'm not getting something real detailed here. I'm aware that these categories exist, but I'd like to hear some sort of an argument. Basically, I've just heard of a list of other things people have said about, about God or the creator or whatever. Well, argue for those. I'd like to hear what they have to what you have to say about those. I'd like to hear you defend this animal God or this plant God. Not that you actually think it's an animal or a plant, but this instinct driven God. I really like to hear that. Let's hear that defense. Metaphysically possible. I mean, not, you know, that we have evidence for them. How have all of these been rejected? How do we, plus, how do we know that it's not something we haven't even thought of yet, which given that we're talking about the cause of space and time, doesn't seem that unlikely that we have it seems like it needs to be a personal creator. That's why, because it seems like it needs to have libertarian freedom. You know, we, we might have missed a few things. So even if you think libertarian, and when I say seems like I'm being generous, I'm saying that seems to be the best explanation. Libertarian agency can be a thing. How have we established that it was the cause in this particular case? Because you can't have because it's in a spaceless, timeless state, determinism doesn't work, and randomness doesn't work, and so you're left with libertarian freedom. Um, this is why I usually clip things out is because I just end up saying the same thing over and over again. Uh, can you deal with the, the someone's trolling in the comments? So. Okay. Uh, thank uh, you for pointing that out to yeah. Slang Ryan. Um, yeah. All right. So let's, let's look at another, another one. And Jonathan, you can take it. That wasn't you, Nathan, trolling, was it? <laughs> Surely not. That was a flat earther, frankly, if you want. Um, I can't speak for all atheists, but this specific atheist don't like the Kalam cosmological tap dance because premise one is wrong due to quantum physics. We don't know if premise two is right or wrong. Conclusion leads to a cause, not a God, which due to premise one is wrong. Your just want to point something out real quick, James, that I think is kind of funny. Um, you seem like a nice guy, but, but I have to point things like this out. So you, you, you chide us at some point in this video for really picking the cream of the crop, right? By responding to YouTube comments, right? You think that that's like, that that's not responding to the best stuff. And I agree. It's not, of course, that's not what I was trying to do. Um, do that elsewhere. But um, you're upset that I'm responding to these comments that you think are like low hanging fruit. But then in many cases, you're defending the comments or the or aspects of the comments. And at the very least, even if you don't think you're doing that, you're responding to me responding to those comments. So I guess in a roundabout way, that's a compliment. Thank you for thinking that multiple videos devoted to Trinity Radio is not attacking low hanging fruit. You leap to conclude your intelligence. God is the cause without any argument. Except that the quantum is an argument. But I, I, what do you mean? Quantum mechanics, there needs to be the quantum mechanics fallacy. Because quantum mechanics, everything that you think is absolutely wrong because quantum mechanics, no, I'm not, I'm not falling for that. What about, what specifically about? Pritchett Cab. <laughs> He's got his own cab. Sorry, I find that hilarious. Also, isn't that like a CD case where he's got those books on it? I don't know. I've just not seen a bookcase like that before. No, that's a bookcase. You can get it on Amazon. Lots of people ask me where to get it. You can get it on Amazon. It's a bookcase. Um, uh, that's the first, he thought it was funny. We have a Pritchett camp and it's meant to be funny, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what he thinks about us as individuals more as we move on. Quantum mechanics has decided that no one should use the first premise of the cosmological argument. There's so much hand waving about quantum mechanics that it's, that doesn't say anything. So I, until you tell me why. Well, I'll do. I mean, it's not wrong. There's a lot of hand-waving about quantum mechanics. I, I wonder who does more of that. Is it the atheists or the theists? I guess I'll leave. 
probably both. Whenever I defend libertarian freedom and I use um, an argument that involves Robert Kane and um, uh, and uh, oh, what's the guy's first name? Hammer off, and then Roger Penrose, and we're talking about quantum microtubules, and uh, perhaps our brain is something like a quantum computer, and um, the amplification of quantum events, the macro level of our choices, all those kind of things that come up again in the Oxford handbook on libertarian freedom, uh, or on freedom, free will, I guess it's called. Um, the, I, there's a lot of hand waving by the atheists in, in that regard. There's a lot of hand waving by Christians more than I think there should be, uh, when it comes to this particular issue. Um, so I think it happens on both sides Up to you to work out them some help here. What they're trying to say, or what they've heard some other atheists say is that um, quantum events, like the collapse of the, of, of the waveform into a location, is, uh, seems to happen without a cause. This particle comes to exist without a cause or uh, from nowhere. Here's the thing. Quantum indeterminacy is bizarre. I read uh, several journal articles and a book on it last year called The Quantum Enigma. That thing is fantastic from Oxford University Press. See, this is an example of what I mean by... Well, why does she say it's from Oxford University Press? It's from Oxford University Press. Is that just a little detail? I mean, maybe he gave it to help us look it up, I suppose. But he could have given us the author. Or, I mean, you can find things by the title, right? I think he said Oxford University Press because that's prestigious, right? And he wants us to know that he's quoting prestigious authors. This is what I mean before. If you're going to try to establish your credentials based on appeal to prestige and things like that, then you should... Establish my credentials based on the fact that I recommended a book from Oxford University Press? No, James. When we're talking about quantum mechanics, there's a lot of weird, bizarre stuff on that written out there. Um, so letting someone know that it's from a reputable publisher like Oxford University Press to, doesn't tell them they can agree with everything or that everything in the book is right, but it lets them know that at least this is from a reputable source. So it's it's not going to be garbage. It's going to be worth your time. And uh, it's important to mention Oxford. Also, viewers of the channel know that I recommend often Oxford published books because often they are very mind blowing. Um, um, and my mind has been changed by by many of them. Uh, there's uh, well, obviously Michael Icona's book on um, Michael Icona's book, uh, The Resurrection of Jesus, A New Historiographical Approach. Uh, no, no, that one's not from Oxford University Press. I think that's Zondervan or something, maybe IVP. But the book on the Gospels. Uh, that he wrote. Uh, why are there differences in the Gospels? That's Oxford University Press. Also, um, uh, the, uh, the the Oxford Handbook on the the Oxford Handbook on the philosophy of consciousness cost me ninety bucks just for the ebook, but it's fantastic. Uh, that's Oxford University Press. Um, the uh, obviously the free will one that I mentioned a moment ago. There's another one uh, that that I really enjoyed. I've got one here. It's actually holding up my my camera. <laughs> But it's a Oxford Press book on sound and how sound indicates the existence of God. Uh, there's, but the one I'm thinking of, what's the, oh, uh, um, oh, come on, the the Jesus, Jesus and the eyewitnesses, yeah, by Richard Bauckham. That's that's fantastic, Oxford University Press. So I, the, the fans of the show know that I I think a lot of those books and push them on people because they really are helpful and they're credible. So uh, it's just interesting to me with, with uh, you know, the atheist individuals that, that make responses to me, like, why, why is that something to pick out that I mentioned the publisher of the book? I, I, I don't know. Like, what, what does that have to do? Obviously, it has something to do with what I'm saying. I'm trying to tell people about a weird issue. Here's a credible source. How do you know it's credible? Oxford University Press.
why is it relevant to like try and psychoanalyze me based on saying that? I don't know. Who knows? This is fine. So try to be even handed about this and say when it goes the other way, when you know most scholars disagree with you. Quantum Enigma makes arguments about quantum consciousness and other stuff. I mean, I haven't read it myself, but I've read some uh, reviews of it. And uh, although there's probably some good stuff. Did you read those reviews of it right before making this video? Maybe not. I don't know. It definitely has some really fringe views. And just because, you know, it's Oxford University Press doesn't mean it's right or anything. So it, it's just why throw that in there? It just really seems like it's you're trying to make it um, more than it really is. Let's just give the argument, not throw an Oxford University Press. Anyway, let, let's move on. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's amazing. And it that was weird to me, folks. I like you, James, I think. But that was just a whole weird, a whole weird segment of this thing. Changed my opinions on some things, but not this. Because even if you want to say what we're saying about if you have, okay. Before we go on, let me just point out again. This is going to be one of those examples where he's going to basically not necessarily disagree with what I'm saying, but but yet say a bunch of stuff. This is this is why, like I say. When I've watched his videos, it's been a lot of, well, I mean, yeah, but nah, or yeah, but technically there's this outside chance that matter can exist without space or, you know, whatever thing like that. Uh, particles popping into existence on quantum mechanics. There's, there's still a causal force there, right? Um, if, if I am holding a book in my hand, I'm causing the book to be suspended in the air. My hand is causing the book to be suspended in the air. I don't even have to be here. If you put a book on top of the building we're in right now, the building the structure is causing the uh, book to be where it is in the air. In a similar way, uh, you, you have things like the space, the, the, the quantum field, all these kind of things that sustain uh, the possibility for this particle that comes into existence. Yeah, it's the, the so, pool of potentiality that causes these things, mm -hmm. or at least makes them possible. So it, it's, not, it's, not as if, it's not as if you could just say, well, because these particles come into existence, it, it's not the same thing. It doesn't follow that they come in uncaused, as if there's no prior state of affairs that allows for this kind of phenomenon to occur. Yeah, you've got you've got the causal uh, categories in place, even right. with that. Now, causal categories in place. What does that mean? So, I mean, I still don't think that this quantum argument is the best response to the climate. I don't. That's one of the reasons I don't discuss it in my book. Although I'm becoming more interested in it than I used to be. One of the reasons I don't think it's a good argument is because we don't know if quantum indeterminacy is fundamental. How much you cross, you still got infinity to go. It's the whole. Yeah, so he's making an argument about why the universe can't be infinitely old, but there's nothing really new there. So I'm just going to skip that. Authority on them when they don't. Um, I just saw in, in looking for uh, that Dillahunty clip I played earlier, I saw where somebody made a response to me and Mike Winger talking about the Kalam sum. And I, um, I was trying to see if I could grab his name real quick off the top of my head. But he, he, he makes, it's like the second video I've seen. I haven't watched all of it. But the last video he made about me, I watched all of it. It was like, it was a series of examples of him kind of, kind of agreeing with me, but then basically going, man, the whole time. But in the comments, you have like, I don't know what that means exactly. I mean, it may not be obvious to you that he's talking about my videos, but it's uh, <laughs> Jerry Fodor. Uh, yeah, it's pretty clear because I just recently did one about him and Mike Winger, and I, I've done a previous uh, several on him as well. Uh, and then there's something he says later that makes it absolutely clear. So, but Braxton, um, look, I'm first of all, I only I was only aware of the two you've done now three, but um, I didn't remember your name. It seems like you think I. It, it seems almost like at moments here you think that I knew your name. Like, how could I not know your name and just could. I genuinely couldn't think of it. And you say something like, well, it's easy to look up. I might've looked it up if this wasn't a live stream and I didn't expect to be talking about this. In the moment, I said what I could. Everyone, 
James Fodor. Bit upset that you couldn't remember my name or, you know, find it anywhere. But it's all right. I forgive you. We can still be friends. You can still come on and we can chat about this. In fact, that's a that's a serious invitation. But uh, so I just want you to know that all is forgiven. Okay. I know, you know, my name is long and it's hard to remember, but, you know, it's all right. We can put that behind us. Like, see, like, like, I'm only aware of you. Like, James, you seem really, um, you're into the same sort of things that I'm into. I think you seem like a, a, a cool guy and a, a nice guy to talk to. Uh, <clears throat> you seem all right. Like, but I didn't know your name. I mean, I, I, I'm sorry. I don't mean it. Like if that personally, if it, I hope it didn't personally offend you. I don't think it did from the way you're talking now, but you are saying like, I know it's a long name, hard to remember when obviously it's not long. I just couldn't remember your name. I'm so I, like, it's, it's like, you're saying this, like, how could I not know your name? And I'm sorry. I clearly you have an audience. It's not that. I just didn't know your name. <laughs> I just can't remember it. James Fodor. It's James Fodor. Certain people who are big. I'm still not 100% sure I'm saying your last name right. Critics of our show who really can't stand us, who are saying all kinds of things like, I don't think either one of these guys know anything about the Kalam and all this. And I'm thinking, it's like we're going to get some questions here in a moment. Well, I'll just save it because there's something I really want to say about that when we get there. Okay. He says, philosophy doesn't prove an existing deity. Science does. Excellent. This guy thinks science proves an existing deity. Don't need to go any further. Okay, then, yeah. Praise God. Thanks. You don't like the Kalam, but you believe in God. But he doesn't believe in God. What he's trying to say is, if there was a way you were going to prove a deity, it would be through science. Why? If you, no. That doesn't even make any that's sense. That's the dumbest thing you could have ever said. And this goes back to things that we have repeatedly said beyond our rants of scientism. Just, you, you have the tiniest thought world that I can't take you seriously if you think the only way to know anything is by science. Which itself is not a claim that could be justified and demonstrated by science. Slam Rin says, wait, I thought the Kalam was, there is a universe, therefore God, no? <laughs> uh, that's how you Well, I think, yeah. I'm like, there's a universe. <laughs> yeah, so I'm fine with that because... That's sort of the Leibnizian cosmological argument, actually, but uh, th that's not what I want to focus on here. There's a bit that's that's really good we're getting to. You know, everyone's heard, right, here comes the Kalam, then just skip to that. It's one of the reasons why I don't like these debates over and over and over again, where they just rehash the same things you've already talking points you've already heard. No, you know what's coming, so you better bring something. You know, yeah. otherwise, just skip to the end. And then the the he actually had more in this comment. I just cut out the relevant part because he had a lot to get through. But he says, "Tell me, how do you get from there's a here it comes? Are you ready? Mm -hmm. This is the thing. Are you ready? This this is big. <laughs> wait, wait, I'm ready. For it. I mean, there's a lot of things here, but this is the principal thing. I'm trying to get atheists to stop saying. How do you get from there's a cause to the cause is the Abrahamic God? This shows me when someone says this, okay, there's a couple of problems here. He says, and once again, the Kalam rears its ugly head, indicating to me he's had so much of the Kalam, he's sick of it. But down here, he informs me that he has not thought deeply about how apologists use the Kalam. We don't use it to get to our specific God. We use it to show that a God consistent, it is not it's not inconsistent with Christianity, exists. Then we provide further arguments that are not the Kalam uh, to get you to God, namely the resurrection or something like that. Yeah. Or to show that it's a moral God, the moral argument, or whatever else. That's how it's, look, when you say, oh, you just jumped from, uh, there's a cause to the God of Christianity exists, or in this case, an Abrahamic God, that's not what we're doing. Please stop saying that. Or at least when you say that, say, I know that this bald guy on Trinity Radio thinks it's dumb when we say this. I won't say dumb. Ignorant. Um, anyway, I, I'm just. I, I... All right. So he's pretty clear here. Uh, Braxton's quite clear here. Uh... Thank you. I am very clear there. Now, with what's about to happen. I want you to watch James. He's so excited about this. I mean, this is like, I know the feeling when you, when you have found some clips and you put them together and it's like, Oh, this, this really makes my point clear. And for him, the point he makes is 
I'm about to really shut this guy down. So watch, watch this uh, pure joy that he experiences throughout this clip. Apologists don't use the Kalam to try to get to a specific God. Uh, and, they sp and they particularly don't say that you can get to an Abrahamic God from the Kalam. All right. He's very clear about that. Now, if anyone's watched my video that I did on Mike Winger, which interesting Braxton specifically mentioned here, they may be wondering some things at the moment. So let's jump to that just now so we can see something else that's been said. I, I think the Mike Winger video might be slightly older. I'm not sure, but I mean, it doesn't matter because... Uh, the Mike Winger video is a at least a year old. Braxton was aware of it, so... Let us see what he Look said. At me. It was back when I was wearing suit jackets in all my videos. Yeah, now. That's how long for those of you that listen to this show. I will grant Braxton isn't the one talking here, but he is nodding along. If you see there where it says March 19th, 2021, that's, that's when I posted this short clip. What Mike Winger is saying. So remember, Braxton just said very definitively, definitively. apologists do not use the Kalam to establish a particular God. And especially they don't say that you can get to the Abrahamic God from the Kalam. Now let's see what, what I'm saying is, especially we don't say that it gets you to the Christian gods, typically what's affirmed, but yeah, it doesn't necessarily specifically get you to the Abrahamic God, to an Abrahamic God. Said here. Uh, or can be for Christian theism. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's pretty significant. And we, we have to realize too, it, it doesn't get you by the way, Remember, the whole point of this segment of the winger clip is to say what I'm saying right now um, that he's going to say I'm I'm inconsistent about. Right. Let's keep watching um, all of scripture and all of the it being Christian doctrine. But I'm sorry if, if you're atheist and you now have a description of God that fits the Bible, although it doesn't affirm everything the Bible affirms yet. It fits the Bible. I'm like thinking, how is this not a big win? You know, how is this not right. a wonderful right. thing? Wait for it. It's coming. I've ruled out a bunch of other religious views. I've isolated it down to a handful of like Abrahamic religions that, you know, we have, we have Judaism, Christianity. I don't know if Islam really fits this, but we have just a handful. And then now we can take it to the next step and continue the discussion. And also when we bring evidence to use, I've isolated it down to a handful of like Abrahamic religions that, you know, we have, we have Judaism, Christianity. I don't know if Islam really fits this, but we have just a handful. And then now. Did you, did you get that? We've Winger says we've isolated to a handful of Abrahamic religions and he's not even sure that Islam counts. So he's basically saying, you know, it's Juda Judaism and Christianity. And he's talking about the Kalam. The Kalam establishes that. If you don't believe me, watch the whole video again. That's what they're talking about here. I believe you, James. So here, Winger says the Kalam can get you to Abrahamic religions. It can somehow rule out the other ones. And it probably rules out Islam as well because it's maybe not inconsistent with that. Braxton's nodding along does not disagree at all. Now... Let's jump back to what and remind ourselves of what Braxton uh, just said in the video that we are, the more recent video that we are watching. Share audio, share audio. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, just got to make sure I share the right one. Here we go again. Let, let's remind ourselves. So can you get to the Abrahamic, can the Kalam get you to the Abrahamic God? Please stop saying that. Or at least when, uh, to get you to God, namely the resurrection or something like that. Yeah. Or to show that it's a moral God, the moral argument or whatever else. That's how it's, look, when you say, oh, you just jumped from, uh, there's a cause to the God of Christianity exists, or in this case, an Abrahamic God. That's not what we're doing. Please stop saying that. Or at least when you say that. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. So 
my question for Braxton. Oh, we're ruined. Can the Kalam get you to, let's say, the Abrahamic God without, you know, further resurrection or whatever type of arguments? Is the answer yes, like Mike Winger says, and you apparently enthusiastically agreed with, with nodding along and not disputing? Or is the answer no, as you've told us here? Now, honestly, I'm kind of happy with either answer. I mean, I, I mean, I think it's wrong that it can get you to the Abrahamic God, but if you want to argue that, you can defend that, sure. But it would be no. <laughs> the, you know, the, the thing is, if you're going to be... <laughs> If you're going to be so um, agitated about atheists being so silly and not understanding the argument and not understanding how apologists use the argument, at least be consistent with yourself about what you say about how apologists use the argument. At least be consistent with myself. So this was this was unfortunate, I think, especially because Braxton explicitly mentioned that very video he did with Mike Winger in this very conversation. So you can't say it's like he wasn't aware of it or it slipped his mind or something. So, um, uh, yeah, that was, that was interesting. Say, I know that this bald guy on Trinity radio thinks it's dumb when we say this, I won't say dumb, ignorant. Um, anyway, I'm just, I, I it's like, dumb. it's not like a personal, it is a personal gripe, but it's not like it offends me or something. It's just that we're trying to go somewhere with these arguments and this oh, sort of thing I mean, just holds it back. This is, I mean, it's, I agree. It does hold it back when you make inconsistent arguments about what the Kalam is supposed to do, depending on what's convenient at the time. You know, let's let's pick something and, and go with it. Now, that's about as uncharitable as you can get that last comment. He says that what I'm doing is, well, let's let's hear it again. Let's. Uh... It offends me or something. It's just that we're trying to go somewhere with these arguments and this oh, sort of thing I mean, just holds it back. This is, I, mean, it's... I agree. It does hold it back when you make inconsistent arguments about what the. When I make inconsistent arguable arguments about the Kalam, Kalam is supposed to do, depending on what's convenient at the time. About what it's supposed to do, depending on what's convenient at the time. Well, you know, as if in some, as if I'm not aware that what I say is recorded and out there on the internet. And in some context, if I think it's going to like really go over well, I'll say, yeah, man, it gets you all the way to Christianity. Or in another context, it gets you all the way to the Abrahamic gods. Or in another context, no, it doesn't get you to those. It just gets you to a God consistent with those. I'm just I'm just changing it up, right? Depending on where I'm at and what's going on. That is about the most uncharitable way of framing it up that 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 I think you could do. Now, what is the actual what's actually going on here? I want to go back, if we can, to the clip itself of me and Mike. Now, let me Let's go ahead and listen to how Mike says it. Now, I'll grant you that I don't think it gets you to the Abrahamic God necessarily. It gets you to a God consistent with the Abrahamic gods. In fact, a God. In fact, I'll go so far as to say, of course, I think that it would that it, Muslims could use this too. Okay, Mike seems to not think so. I think so. But I want you to watch this and hear what Mike's and notice. Mike says a handful is Christianity, Christianity and Judaism, a handful. No, it is not. <laughs> it's not a handful. And notice that he shrugs and says it gets you to like a handful of like, like Abrahamic, God, uh, Abrahamic religions. First of all, he does. He, he shrugs. And maybe this is me being specific, too specific or something, which would be fine since Fodor thinks that I'm not being specific specific enough or that uh mike's not being specific enough but notice him shrug like he's looking for a way to phrase it the way i would phrase it is it gets you to a monotheistic god consistent with the abrahamic religions what he says is it gets you to 
a handful of religions uh, like Abrahamic religion, a handful of like Abrahamic religions. In the moment, I I didn't take him to be, well, let's just watch it. I think that's pretty significant. And we, we have to realize too, it, it doesn't get you um, all of scripture and all of the Christian doctrine. But I'm sorry, if, if you're atheist and you now have a description of God that fits the Bible, although it doesn't affirm everything the Bible affirms yet, it fits the Bible. I'm like thinking, how is this not a big win? You know, how is this not right. a wonderful right. thing? Wait for it. It's coming. I've ruled out a bunch of other religious views. I've isolated it down to a handful of like Abrahamic religions that, you know, we have, we have Judaism, Christianity. I don't know if Islam really fits this, but. Yeah. So that's what I took him to be saying was a handful of like Abrahamic. What I'm taking him to mean is like monotheistic religions that are like, uh, you know, consistent with, with Abrahamic religions. I think that's now this is a year ago. I can't really tell you what I was thinking. I think at the time I was, it wouldn't have registered with me because he was basically reasoning what I reason, which is it gets you to basically the monotheistic religions. And then if you wanted to, if you wanted to go about your approach in a certain way, you could say, well, what are the most successful? Uh, see, tip, sometimes I'll present an argument like this. If you already believe in God and guess what? Atheists, there are many people that already believe in God, but don't believe in the resurrection. So what I'll say is to those people, I might say something like, well, look, here's a simple thought experiment. Um, if there is a God and you have this sense of morality, don't you think that God wants us to interact with other people, that he wants us to, that com communication relationship seems important to our creation, what, what this God wanted for us? Yeah, okay, yeah, sure, of course. Okay, then doesn't it seem plausible that a God that created us like that would want to in some way communicate with us? Yeah, it does. Well, if we look at the history of the world's religions, is there a place where something like that may have happened? And if you if you rule out anything that's not the monotheistic religions, you look at the three great monotheistic religions right now and you and you say, OK, Judaism, Christianity and Islam. Oh, guess what? There's a guy smack in the middle of all of that who uh, is supposed to be God speaking in human form to people um, for now and always. And this person who seems to be the center of human history, who, so far as we know, never wrote anything down, never traveled far from where he lived. And yet Christianity has touched almost the whole world, right? Uh, that that seems like a simple way of thinking. As a God, he wants relationships. Would he have tried to have a relationship with us? If he did, it seems plausible that he would. If he did, where could we look to find that? Well, if we call away all of the uh, religions that are not monotheistic religions with something like the Kalam or a contingency argument, what you're left with are basically these Abrahamic monotheistic religions, basically, maybe a couple of others, a handful of like Abrahamic religions. And of those, there's a guy smack in the middle who claims to be the guy doing exactly that. And it's blown up all over the world. So that's, you know, that's just a little thought experiment you could do in the conversation with someone. That's not what this video is about. But what I'm thinking that way when I'm listening to him, like, yeah, okay, a handful of like monotheistic religions or understandings of God you know, synonymous with the Abrahamic religions. I think I was thinking something like that. That's what I would be thinking now if I heard Mike say that. Now, even there, even if I did take him to be saying something like that, would I have typically said something like, but just, just to be clear, it doesn't necessarily get you all the way to necessarily an Abrahamic God or something like that. Yeah, I think I would have said that. Let me tell you something. This was the first time I was alone on a channel as big as Mike Winger's. And I was a little bit nervous.
I'm just being honest with you. And so it's very possible that when I'm nodding and smiling and looking at the chat and smiling, I'm thinking as much about what I'm going to say next as I am what the host of the show is saying right now. Just being honest with you. But let me make it abundantly clear to you. I don't change what I say the Kalam gets you based on where I am and what I'm talking about. So let's take this at level one and level two. At level one, does the claim that I am inconsistent with how I speak about the Kalam given my circumstances? No, it is not. That is simply false on the evidence that Fodor gives us. Um, is Now, you could say, well, yeah, but you're sitting there smiling. Again, I didn't take him to be saying what James thinks he's saying, and, and, and James may be right, uh, but I didn't take him to be saying that. If I was really being scrutinizing his words, I might have clarified something along those lines. But I'm thinking I'm on Mike Winger's show. What's the next thing I'm going to be responding to? Uh, but let me make it clear here for always and forever. I don't think the Kalam gets you all the way to Christianity. I don't think it gets you to the Abrahamic religions. I'm not being wishy-washy based on where I am and what I'm saying. If, if Mike thinks that, then Mike's wrong. And I don't think that Mike's wrong. I don't think he meant that. But if he did, then yeah, we disagree. Okay. I still think it's super annoying when atheists claim that we make a broad leap from the Kalam to Abrahamic gods or the Christian gods. Because guess what Mike Winger is even going to do? Even with what you just said, and even if he means it like you said. You know what he's going to do? If he hears, if, if he gives the Kalam... He's going to then follow that with a resurrection case. And that's the point that I'm trying to make with this is we don't think it gets you all the way. We provide, we think it gets you to a God consistent with those things. And so what we do then is we provide a resurrection case. And when he says, when he says it with a, with a um, uh, kind of a mocking voice, like how the apologists handle these things. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I could get the books and lay them down. I, I could name them for you. Um, Avery Dulles, uh, History of Apologetics, fantastic book, goes through the varying approaches. Classical apologetics is the approach that that says, nope, you show first that God exists using a theistic argument. Then you show the resurrection. You show that Jesus rose from the dead. So it's the Christian God. Um, you could go with five views on apologetics from Zondervan's Counterpoint series. Oh, shoot. I mentioned the... Um, the publisher there again. Okay. Don't mention it this time. The, the um, five views on apologetics from a publisher's, a particular publisher's counterpoint series. Um, and then uh, what, what else do we have? Uh, there's also Norman Geisler's Christian apologetics. He gives them different names. Uh, typically they're classical, evidential, cumulative case, uh, presuppositional and reformed epistemology. He gives them different names, but uh, it's the same. They function the same. So you could get any of those three books or countless other books. I mean, that could be a helpful moment here. Maybe this is something I can offer is read a good book, read five views on apologetics. It will be, you'll really enjoy it. It'll, it'll help you understand, but yeah, it's pretty important if you're going to do atheist apologetics that, that you understand what apologists are saying and why you have just a handful. And then now, okay. So yeah, so that's that now. So the idea that I'm inconsistent is simply false. That's all there is to it. That was pretty uncharitable. All right. I don't know exactly where we are. Let's pick it up here somewhere. Hammock God, without, you know, further resurrection or whatever type arguments, is the answer yes, like Mike Winger says, and you apparently enthusiastically agreed with, with nodding along and not disputing. Or is I agree that it gives you a God consistent with Abrahamic monotheism. I don't agree that it gets you to uh, the Abrahamic gods necessarily.
not on its own. So if you want to press Mike's words like that into and, and say he means it exactly like that, and he might have, then yeah, we would disagree. But I don't think he meant it like that. That's a no, as you've told us here. Now, honestly, I'm kind of happy with either answer. I mean, I, I mean, I think it's wrong that it can get you to the Abrahamic God, but if you want to argue that, you can defend that, sure. But it would be no. <laughs> the, the thing is, if you're going to be, if you're going to be so um, agitated about atheists being so silly and not understanding the argument and not understanding how apologists use the argument. There it was. Let's see. We've already answered all this. We've responded. Let's jump ahead now. I don't know quite how far to jump ahead, but this is an hour long show that I'm I'm already over an hour responding to. We spend too much time on atheists who aren't worth the time. Atheists are worth the time. People are worth it. They're image bearers. Yeah. Pritchett said, we, we spend too much time on this. Atheism isn't worth it or atheists aren't worth it. And I just want to make clear, I think my atheist audience is worth it. And I love you. And this channel loves you. And Pritchett does too. What he's saying, well, let me let me hear what James asked. As, yes. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the level of attention and content we provided is not worth the time. So the fewest yeah. no, in number and not the most numerous out there who don't need Jesus and other people have better better things to talk about than atheists do. But I wonder what those better things are. But wonder what those better things are. What Pritchett often says, and, and there is an element of truth in this, we all have you know, the places where we have our own interests. Um, and as believers where we think God is, um, has kind of directed us or prompted us to focus. And for me, that's evangelism in general, and then specifically, uh, responses to atheists. And fortunately we've seen many people come to Christ as a result of that. Um, but what Pritchett often says is, look, atheism is an extremely small percentage of the global population. And there are a lot of things we could be responding to that if we're talking about in terms of number of people, then atheism is, we should, you know, we should have a few people working on that, but globally Islam would maybe be a good one to focus on. Um, Hinduism, uh, Sikhism, uh, Buddhism, these, these kind of things, these, these other uh, 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 array of um, Western westernized Eastern concepts that have been made into sort of a new age um, Western idea. There are a lot of things he's saying that we could focus on that there's a way more people, you know, dealing with than the minor uh, number of atheists, historically and globally speaking. That's what he's saying. And he's not wrong. It's just I'm one of those people that feels like this is what I'm supposed to focus on. Well, I guess that's a topic for another conversation. All right. I'm yeah, but I gave it to you. To jump... Won't cost you a dime, James. This is about, oh, yeah, AB theory. I'm not interested in what he has to say about that. Let's jump forward now to uh, 38, and let's see what he has to say about something else. Point. You're Again, I think that's presuming science. Like oh, what science too far. of the universe, if that is even the right word. We can't say that it had a cause. We simply don't know enough. Even if you grant that it had a Okay, so on the first point, you're again, I think that's presuming science, like what science tells you. In philosophy, I think you can get to some of these things. Like I love how um, Josh Rasmussen says not about this issue, but he says about something else, uh, the contingency argument. In that case, he's talking about how I know that it seems like that that is a really far out place to be able to get with human reason to, to something like that. Like, get ready for um, a course in uh, atheist chest thumping. Here it comes rhetoric. By the way, James, I think rhetoric is great. I think rhetoric can be very helpful as long as it has the good content behind it. But here we're going to get straight up pure rhetoric. Are you ready? get the cause of the universe but i think yeah it is it is actually pretty far out to think that you can establish the nature of the cause of the universe just by thinking about it 
In fact, <laughs> that kind of strains <laughs> credulity, at least for me. If we build a sturdy bridge of reason, we can get there. And I think we can. I think that's amazing. So philosophically, I think. Oh, boy. You, you should read my book. Oh, i got to pimp out my book. Where is it? I should read his book. On the uh, unreasonable faith. Most of what Braxton is saying here is. Clever title. From Craig. Uh, who, of course, is the prominent defender of the Kalam and basically invented it. I mean, actually, I was just quoting Josh Rasmussen. But yes, I admire Craig and Craig is the guy on the Kalam. That's true. Adopted it from Muslim scholars, but um, he, he put it in the particular form that is currently defended. Uh, so, yeah, if, if you look at what I say about this in my book, um, I don't want to say you can't believe in the Kalam, but it's not it's not a sturdy bridge. Right. It's it's you know, think about those rickety old wooden bridges that span this wide chasm and there's like planks falling off and it's all rotten and you step on it and it's like um, shaking uh, you know each plank of the different things that need to be established for the column to work and, you know it's like the tenseless theory of time and ancient causation and you know all of these paradoxes of infinity that have to work and the uh, aspects of the the causal relata of um of causation and um whether or not the universe even needed a cause and ruling out all the other alternatives um, and the fact that God has this particular relationship to time, that he brings himself into time with the universe, uh, Baldwin for Lincoln theorem and interpreting general relativity and its relationship to Craig's views of time and uh, and um, whether you can treat um, those sort of models realistically or not and other potential models like emergent universe models or, um, uh, or, or the uh, models of um, eternal inflation and other things like that. There's so many things going on there that need to be established. So um, in my debate notebook, um, I actually have about 10 pages um, that I had with me for the Dan Barker debate. I had it with me for the Matt Dillahunty debate. I had it with me uh, when I debated Will the Atheist. I've had it with me all along that has all of those issues. If if I'm, I might have put them down, some of them by different names, all the models for the universe, the beginning of the universe, all these things all down in a in a notebook so that when someone raises them, uh, I can respond to them. But you'll notice he doesn't defend any of those or present any of those or talk about, I guess that'd be the right way to say it, talk about any of those supposed problems that uh, the Kalam had. Many of those things I think are actually things that count in favor of the Kalam. Um, he just says, read my book. Well, perhaps I will. Maybe I will read your book. Not anytime soon. Got other stuff to do, James. But um, what is it that Hitchens used to say? That which can be asserted without evidence can be rejected without evidence or something like that. So just naming off areas of discussion that have to do with the Kalam, um, I'm not sure what we're doing there. But the idea that this is like a sturdy bridge is a bit of... But but this notion of the, the bridge, where I get this is in Josh Rasmussen's How Reason Can Lead to God, uh, this is the picture he gives. He talks about this book. I even had this joke with, um, with Josh where I, I, I said something like in chapter six, he's talking all the time about building this bridge. And making sure, and he's like, this is the first foundation. And he, of course, he's talking about a contingency argument. And then he talks a little bit about teleology and consciousness and all these other things. But but he's like, we got we, this is the sturdy this post of the bridge and that post, and this is the planks that goes across. And and it really does a good job of at each step presenting you with reasons to believe that X, Y, and Z is true that seem like almost impossible to deny, making for a really sturdy bridge. And then he comes back and says what I said a moment ago. He's like, no, look. I know that on first blush, like to think you could get that far out with just your reasoning seems, uh, as, as he said, to strain credulity. However, uh, the fact is, actually, if you look at it and, and you look at each step along the way, 
it makes a really strong uh, bridge, frankly. And he even says in chapter six, he's like, this golden bridge, this bridge made of gold. And I, I um, put on a, there's a group that he and I and some other people are in. And I was like, this, I feel like I've been lied to the whole time. I get to chapter six and only now do I realize that this bridge is made of gold. And he puts, see, just like God, it's even better than you thought. But, but that's a whole thing. That, that's an image that he gives. And yeah, I think that each step, though, uh, he was, uh, Rasmussen was talking about a, um, a contingency argument. And I'm talking about the Kalam. I think that, yeah, each step is solid enough if it's defended properly that we can actually get out there to what this cause must be like. Now, the fact that you want to wave your hands at that and just describe it as actually a rotten bridge without telling me why that falls apart when you walk across it. That's the atheist chest thumping. I mean, maybe you have the content to back that up in your book, but I didn't hear it right here joke to me. I think the Kalam is an interesting philosophical argument because it raises so many questions, but a terrible piece of natural theology for precisely the same reason. I think we can get there. Uh, the fact that scientists, not all of them agree that that's okay, fine. That's, I don't know what plumbers think about it either. We simply don't know enough. Even if you, even if you granted that it had a cause, you don't know that it was. A Do we seriously think that plumbers and say cosmologists are equally well qualified to comment about the origins and course of the universe? But um, what did I say there? I said that the best defenses of this thing, the way that I think it's best defended is through the philosophical arguments. And, uh, and I said elsewhere in the video, I, I don't, not all physicists and I, or cosmologists. And I said, uh, some of them are, but not all of them are, are equipped. They're ill-equipped to deal with some of these philosophical questions that can get us back that far or to that point, I guess I should say. And, um, and so, yeah, there's a little bit of rhetoric here. I don't know what plumbers think about it either. Um, that's obviously hyperbolic rhetoric. I rarely do it, but sometimes in the Friday live stream, I go there. But the point is still a valuable one, which is to say, let's not be like new atheists who say, well, if science can't, you know, it's really science that should be able to tell us about these things. And the things that they don't speak to are the things that we're not really qualified to talk about. Well, I'm sorry. I think that the philosophical defenses of the Kalam are extremely powerful. And so you would you would need to deal with with uh, those things. And I don't know that the physicists are uh, I don't know that most physicists are. I think they're ill equipped to deal with those philosophical responses such that asking a scientist what he thinks about these philosophical matters is maybe not exactly like asking your average plumber. But I don't know what you got against plumbers, James. I think plumbers are great. And maybe there's some really thoughtful plumbers who would have some ideas that I would put on the level of some of these non-philosophically minded scientists. The idea is this idea that the scientists are the lab coat priesthood of our day. And if they can't talk about something, then maybe it's not it's it, they're the ones who can really talk about something on an expert level. No, I'm sorry. I think philosophically we can get pretty far. Seems to be what Braxton was implying here. I have a book here. Now, where did I put it? Here we go. Principles of Physical Cosmology. Now, this isn't even a particularly new book, but it is still a very good one by, by people here. Now, this is not just about the course of the universe, obviously. Uh, th this book outlines uh, a summary of general relativity and talks about the development of cosmological models leading up to the Big Bang. Um, okay, great. All right, let's move on a little bit. I don't feel too bad about this because he did the same thing to me. Specifically, I don't see. have to know that it's my God on the basis of the Kalam. I've got other arguments to establish who this God is, like the resurrection argument. Even if you grant that, what was this God's cause? Already answered multiple times in this episode. Mm. I don't understand why that is so difficult to understand why some of these are gaping holes in the logic here. Well, maybe now you know. I don't know. 
uh, I don't know if everything exists had a cause. Even if I was to grant you, I don't know that either. One, I, I know that everything that began to exist yes. does. <laughs> That's right. How do we know that everything that begins to exist has a cause? I mean, we just talked about the potential quantum exceptions to that, but I mean, it's just this arrogation of, well, you know, it seems to me that that causes are a thing, so I'll just sort of assume that that applies to every place in the entire universe throughout all history of time. I mean, how arrogant do you have to be to just assume that the way we perceive things is true always and everywhere as a general, well, not as a general, a universal principle? I think in this video that he's responding to, I actually said this. But I'm going to say it again here. So, yes, it is the case that everything that begins to exist before us or in our in the physical universe that we're able to look at seems to have a cause. That's true. So it's like an incredibly strong inductive claim, right? That that we have 100% of our experience seems to confirm this and 0% of our experience disconfirms it. So that's some nice gravy to pour on there. It's not like we're just pulling this out of nowhere, right? Like there, there is some good reason to come to a conclusion like this. But that's actually not why we believe this, right? Um, actually, the the reality is and this is what I think I've said in this video, I've certainly said it a lot, and I've said it a lot lately, is that um, we're really trying to talk about the universe coming into existence, right? So let's just get straight to that and skip all this other stuff. The universe coming into existence from nothing, okay? If we're talking about nothing, not the Lawrence Krauss nothing, not the Stephen Hawking nothing, but nothing, like not anything, right? Not a roiling sea of positive and negative energy, not anything. Oh, by the way, how do we know it can't be a roiling sea of positive and negative energy? Remember how I said a while ago that he didn't really deal with the past infinite regress thing? Um, well, I do think there are major problems for past infinite universe such that I think it doesn't work. And so I don't think a past infinite uh, field of positive and negative energy or some kind of past infinite quantum field, I, I, I don't think that, I don't buy it. I don't think that works. And so... Um, in order, and, and I'm happy to defend that notion and have all over YouTube and in debate. So with that said, um, since I don't think you have this past infinite uh, chain, then, well, what were we even talking about? I just don't understand how you get to that place. Um, I mean, I'm... Oh, so the universe comes... So it's not a roiling sea of positive and negative energy. It's not that nothing that isn't nothing. It's actual nothing, like not anything, Right. And in a state of not anything, that's just the way I'm going to say it because apparently I have to, in a state of not anything, you can't have something begin to exist because if this state of not anything has potentialities, properties, possibilities, powers, any of those things that would, that, you know, then, then you're not talking about any, nothing. You're not talking about not anything. You're talking about something. If it has properties, it's not nothing. If it has powers, it's not nothing. If it has potentialities, it's not nothing. That's why we believe that the universe could not have come to begin to exist from not anything. That's why. So the inductive side of that, the other side where our experience, we're not just using the whole common sense thing about here about, um, well, I just, I've never seen anything come to exist from, from nothing. No, we're not saying that. However, it is interesting to note that 100% of our experience confirms this and nothing in our experience disconfirms it. I don't think, you know, I think causation is a real phenomenon, right? So I'm not, I'm not, you know, saying it's, it's not real as, as some argue, but 
to say that literally everything that begins to exist must have a cause because it seems obvious to me. It's like, a is that why I said, I don't think so. Now at some level, all argumentation and all epistemology gets down to something very fundamental like that. But, but that's not what I've said here about this, you know, a metaphysical basic principle or something like that, that Craig says, it's just, it's just ridiculous. We don't even know what causation is. In multiple videos I've looked, I've shown at the Stanford Encyclopedia articles that talk about this. There's widespread dispute about the nature of causation, models of causation, the causal relata, the metaphysics of causation. Uh, it, it's it's disputed, it's complicated. Uh, but then Breck, uh, Pritch is just like, yeah, I know that everything seems to have a cause, that had a cause. Yep, yep. You know, that's just, I know that. I just. Well, the great thing about that, James, is you just need to present a defeater and defend it. Like, give us an example of another, like, I understand that you may or may not be one of those atheists who says, hey, I'm not saying God doesn't exist. Maybe you are one that says God doesn't exist. But but you may be one of those people that says, I'm not saying God doesn't exist. I'm just saying I remain unconvinced or I lack belief or something like that. Um, and, it, and if that's the case, then you may think, well, I don't I don't have any kind of burden of proof to, to argue for an alternative hypothesis for the beginning of the universe. But you can be a lack of belief atheist. Again, don't know if you are, but but you can be a lack of belief atheist and still put out a defeater, give argue for another hypothesis along, you know, in place of the God hypothesis that would accomplish these things. And uh, we love to see that because I think it's going to have major problems. <sighs> Uh, where, where's the skepticism? Like, where's where's the critical? You know, I'm not sure. Like, what's the evidence for that? Th there's just none of that here, and that I find really frustrating because that's a that's important value to me. I'm sorry, you're frustrated, frustrated, James. Um, the the thing the thing with how we look at this, I think a, a certain amount of skepticism is valuable, but um, you can you can use. I don't think you do this, James. I don't know you actually. I don't know you well enough to know if you do this. But from the things I've just seen, the little bit I've seen, I don't think you're this kind of person. But once you accept skepticism as a principle, you you can end up tailoring what you're skeptical about. Like you almost get to, and you may not even realize you're doing this, subjectively decide what to be more skeptical about than something else, right? So to give you a classic example I use all the time, Matt Dillahunty says um, he doesn't believe we can have a Cartesian certainty, and I agree with him about that. Uh, but then he says he wants a demonstration that a God exists. So um, apologists will come and lay out a bunch of a bunch of stuff. And then he'll say, yeah, but I don't think that's a demonstration. And say, so, OK, well, then what would we have to give you that you think would count as a demonstration? Well, I don't know. But if there's a God, he would know. Well, if you're not specifying for us a benchmark of what would count as um, evidence or would count as a demonstration, but you're saying you're, you're, you're crediting your skepticism with this whole thing and you know we can't get you Cartesian certainty, then no matter what we can give you, you can just say, yeah, but uh, where's the skepticism, man? I don't I don't know about that. That I'm too skeptical for that. I don't accept that. That doesn't convince me. That's why we often hear him and the people that follow him say, I don't know is the best answer to these things. Because you can say, I don't know. You can you can use your skepticism about any number of things. The thing about this being a solid bridge, it's kind of like uh, the whole idea that this is a bus that is taking you somewhere. The reasoning is taking you somewhere. And you don't just to get to get off whenever you want to. This bus is going somewhere and we need to be, and I'm not saying you're not James, because I get that you actually don't believe this, but I think you have to be epistemically and intellectually honest about 
if I don't have to get off the bus here with the at the I don't know corner, and it actually does look like it goes further, then we go further, and it happens to be a sturdy bridge. That's just that's just the way. But when it comes to skepticism as a virtue, as I think you're going to say in just a few moments, the problem is you got to be real careful how you handle that skepticism because what you can end up doing is believing whatever you want to believe because you subjectively utilized uh, the limits of your skepticism the way that you wanted to. Um, last thing I would say, sometimes um, things are as they seem. And when we're talking about the plausibility of an argument, we need to take that seriously. I loved the T-Jump versus Trent Doherty discussion where uh, T-Jump says something like, things aren't always as they seem. And Trent Doherty's like, right, they're not always as they seem, but most of the time they are. <laughs> There's a there's a healthy amount of that that needs to be involved in this. It's like there needs to be a balance. The Christians are not saying we don't need to have skepticism. We're saying we need to be very cautious how we use it and 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 be self-conscious about how we might be using it subjectively to our own to end us at our own desired beliefs. An intellectual virtue of of, you know, of, of critical skepticism. He messed up, messed up premise one again, like Air Church caught. Even if I was to grant you premise one that they did, that still doesn't get you to God. Just because something may have a cause doesn't mean that God or an intelligence is the only answer to the question of what is the cause. So we've laid that out. Um, oh, here's something. The other guy that, that did the response to me. About so that's me. I'm the other guy. And that's very clear from from what he's about to say here. About the Columbus, this was the part that I saw. He says, um, I, I, he had me talking to Winger about how uh, other things that have been posited that are spaceless, timeless, time material, and all that. Um, and, and Winger said, maybe a teapot, you know. Well, uh, Dill Hunty has said before, oh, this is great. What we're about to see is beautiful. Universe creating pixies. And uh, and so I mentioned that. Winger then says, well, well hold on a second. Uh, pixies are like physical and material and in space. And I said, oh, but these are special pixies. <laughs> and I laugh. And uh, the guy pauses it and he's like, look at them laughing at the idea that pixies could create the universe. And he's like, of course, I don't believe they did either. But they should laugh at their own belief. It's like that. It's only normal to that's been normalized to them. That's why it's funny. I'm not laughing at the notion that pixies created the universe. I'm laughing at the idea that once you say they're special pixies because they're spaceless, timeless, non-material, have minds, all these kind of things, you've just described God. You're just describing God well, and calling like God a pixie. Debate, though, you need to argue with Razor off of you. Yeah. All right. So um, this, I think, I mean, this wasn't the most profound point that I think I made in that critique. However, I do think it's an important one. So I'm, I want to respond to that here. So the pixie point, right? Obviously, I don't think pixies created the universe. But the question is, do we have, you know, absent the resurrection argument or whatever, do we have more reasons to think that the universe was created by an all-powerful, all-knowing, omnibenevolent triune god, uh, even throughout the triune, if if that offends you, because it seems to offend Braxton mentioning that, but but the omnipropity god. No, no, no. What do I say very carefully when I present the Kalam? Spaceless, timeless, non-material, sufficiently powerful, exceedingly wise. I will admit that years ago I used omnipotent. I, I used all the omnis, you know, uh, uh, omniscient, omnipotent. I still don't think I threw in there omnibenevolent, but but in recent years I, I've changed on that and I say spaceless, timeless, non-material, sufficiently powerful, exceedingly wise mind. And I don't talk about it being triune because, as I say in this video, the Trinity is established on other grounds. But it's, it's funny how he treats the Trinity here, what he does with the Trinity, because I, I think it's fantastic. And I don't know it. I don't I don't I don't I, like I'm not I don't want to sound like a jerk, but James, you end up making my point more clear than it already was. Or uh, pixies, obviously, you know, immaterial pixies. So 
I contend that we have essentially the same reasons. In fact, possibly more reasons on behalf of the Pixies because they don't have the Omni properties, although I don't want to push. I don't use the Omni properties. Too far, but um, let's just talk about the Pixies. So first of all, are Pixies the same as God, which is what he's saying, if they're immaterial Pixies? Well, clearly not. Okay, so just so people know, this happened. This has happened many times. Uh, it, it, I often call it the pixie parade that is listing out all the things that people have posited. Maybe it's a super powerful, non-material, uh, spaceless, timeless, personal computer, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, you just describe God and call God a computer. Maybe it's a spaceless, timeless, non-material, sufficiently powerful, exceedingly wise, personal cheese sandwich. You just describe God. They do this with a number of things. Even with the flying spaghetti monster, sometimes they'll, they'll, if you press them, they'll go, okay, fine. A spaceless, timeless, non-material, sufficiently powerful, exceedingly wise spaghetti, uh, uh, whatever, right? Flying spaghetti monster. You're just describing God. But James Fodor puts the, like, if there really was a pixie parade and we put all these things that are supposed to be different than God, but are just descriptions of God all in like a, a Disney parade, the big float at the end that is the most like God of all the things in the Pixie Parade is the one that James Fodor is about to produce for us. Think about this. So for, for two things to be identical, they have to have all of the same properties. This is Leibniz's law of the indiscernibility of identicals, okay, that apologists usually like to, to bring up. So let's think about, are there any properties that differentiate immaterial Pixies from an immaterial mind? Well, there are many properties. For a start, uh, Pixies have wings, as we all know. Um, now, of course, these are immaterial wings. Perhaps they represent their, um, you know, ability to appear, manifest at different points in space, uh, or something like that. Um, you know, just like we say that God has some sort of metaphorical um, hands and so forth, or voice. It talks about this in the Bible. So, so can we say that you know, pixies have metaphorical wings? That that it's not literally a physical wing, but it's an aspect of their identity that's represented in a sort of an immaterial wingness. So, but God doesn't have that. God's never depicted with wings in the in the um, Abrahamic traditions or in generally other ones that I'm familiar with. So, so there's already a difference there. But, but no, there's not a difference. Hey, Bible scholars out there. Um, hey, Sunday school teachers out there, does is God ever depicted as having wings? Ask yourself. I seem to recall Jesus speaking about the history of Israel and saying, you who stoned the prophets, or you who uh, uh, rejected the prophets and stoned those who were sent to her, how often I would have gathered you together under my wings. Now, um, he might say, well, yeah, but that, that's, that's like metaphorical wings, which is, again, what he said these pixies have. Not real wings, metaphorical wings, like God might say, I've stretched out my hand, metaphorical hand. So that's not a difference, actually. You're still describing God. Let's go further. That's not all we can say. Um, pixies are mischievous. We know this. They like to play tricks on people, but God's not mischievous. So that's another difference. Also Depends on what you mean by mischievous. First of all, I don't know that that's a fundamental property of pixies is that they're mischievous. Um uh, but I will say this, there are things that God does that could be described by a certain person as mischievous, not in a negative way. For example, when he comes down to the garden, and he says, Adam, where are you? Where are you? It's kind of like when I say to my daughters, Joe Lee, come downstairs. Did you eat a cookie out of the cookie jar? And I know darn well she did because I have Google home nest cam. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's not like I don't know is God being mischievous uh, when God appears with uh, two other angels to speak with Abraham 
about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he invites Abraham to basically reason with him and and argue with him about the number of people that need to be there. Um, these, These kind of things. There are other examples where we could talk about God being a little bit tricksy that way, not in a negative way. I don't think, um, uh, I, I just, I just think, uh, we could, we could talk about, uh, how he interacted with Jacob and the wrestling match that took place there and the, uh, hip bone and all those kind of things. I, I don't know. That that's a difference either. Let's see if you got anything else. God is all knowing, but pixies aren't all knowing that they, I didn't use all knowing in my defense of the Kalam because I don't think the Kalam gets you to the Omni properties. Now, guess what? I do think that a good contingency argument can get you to the Omni properties, but I didn't bring a contingency argument here. And I'm not talking about contingency arguments. I'm talking about the Kalam and I don't think it gets you to the Omnis. And so I didn't use that. And so it's not a difference. They know some things. Um, also, pixies are not all powerful, that they may have the power to create a universe. I didn't use all powerful. Again, that's an omni attribute. Maybe to play tricks on people, uh, but they, they don't have all power. So they're not as powerful as God. They're also not omnibenevolent, as we've just established, because I didn't argue for omnibenevolence. Um, you know, they're mis- and in fact, I never have on the basis of the Kalam. Previous. I mean, is it possible that having said that someone might scrape together some video from where I was at church somewhere and I said omnibenevolence? I mean, I guess it's it's epistemically possible to me right now, but I doubt I've ever said it. And I certainly don't commonly say it. Also, the point about Occam's right. And I didn't say it here or any time in the last year. That Pritchard mentioned. So when I say that there are multi multitude of pixies, I, I don't mean that there's like separate pixie substances. Okay. What I'm saying is that there is a single pixie substance, that, a single essence that pixies share, that that's, that's a single unity. Uh, but within that, there are multiple uh, pixie persons. Um, uh, which are all manifestations of the underlying pixie substance. Just like in the Trinity, there's one God with multiple persons. Now, I think he thinks this is clever, but notice if I'm taking him seriously, what is he saying right now? Now, he said that he he's he obviously doesn't think that pixies created the universe, but, but notice what he's kind of framing up. He's like, no, 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 no. Here's what it's like. It's like a spaceless, timeless, non-material, sufficiently powerful just like everything, just like your God wings and all, just like your God uh, pixie that has the the essence pixie, but is tri-personal or in some other way, omnipersonal. Like, I think you're arguing that to, to be to be funny, but now you have really defined not just God, but specifically the Christian God. And you're calling it pixies. I mean, like this is. Like, I'm not sure what he thinks he's doing, but he's like making my point as crystal clear as it could possibly be made, which is the more you define what it's like, the more you define the Christian God. So as there are multiple uh, pixie persons within the, the substance of pixie, and that makes another difference between uh, pixies and and the triune God, because uh, the number of God in the Trinity or the number of persons in the Trinity is three, which we know is the only immeasurable number, uh, whereas the number of pixies in the, the pixie substance is, well, I, I don't actually know. It's unclear, but it's more than three. It's a large number, uh, but a measurable number, though. And- how, how do you know it's a me- an immeasurable number? See, th- this is where, like, to make it different from God, he's got to actually go beyond what the Kalam gets you, which is kind of the point. Like the triune God, which is, you know, three is, is immeasurable. So, so we've got lots of differences between pixies and God. So there's- there wasn't a single one. They have wings, you know, immaterial wings that are sort of metaphorical, but still part of... If it's a metaphorical wing, then our God has that. Essence God doesn't. They're not omniscient. They're not omnibenevolent. Didn't argue for omniscience or omnibenevolence. Actually, they're, they're, um, 
mischievous. Um, Depending on what you mean by mischievous, as you define it, then I could point to some mischievous aspects of God. They are more than three in number. You have no way of establishing that. And in fact, it demonstrates my point that in order to get something that doesn't look like God, you've got to actually go beyond what the Kalam can get you and add something else that doesn't need to be there. And they um, also, oh, I've forgotten, wasn't there another difference? Oh yeah, they're not all powerful either. They only have... Didn't claim that God was on the basis of the Kalam. ...restricted causal power. So there's lots of differences. This is why he's the float that goes at the back of the pixie parade that actually gives you a triune uh, pixie, tripersonal pixie. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, James, did you remember that at the beginning of this, what you were supposed to do is show another possible explanation for the spaceless, timeless, non-material, sufficiently powerful, exceedingly wise mind that began the universe. Uh, and, uh, and, and you, you took pixies, which I already said, it's just like you're defining God and calling it a pixie. And you made those pixies look even more like God. Do, I like, do you get it? Do you see? Between the pixies and uh, the, the pixie hypothesis and the triune God hypothesis. So, so you can't say that they're just the same thing because, you know, from Leibniz's, uh, Leibniz's law of the indiscernibility of identicals, if two things have different properties, uh, then they can't be identical. And so it follows logically and inescapably that the hypotheses are separate, which means that we have to assess which is more plausible. And absent a resurrection argument, it's not clear to, or something similar, it's not clear to me why we should prefer the triune God hypothesis over the pixie hypothesis. Um, right, you messed up the identity thing there because either I didn't give these qualities to the cause I think the Kalam establishes in some cases, or you're saying things that can't be established by the Kalam in order to make it different. But if we go with what can be established by the Kalam, and what I actually said, I, you know, going through this, you are describing something that, that the identity isn't different. In fact, it's closer than it's more identical than you thought it was, which it needs to be identical. Right. But it's it's identical. And 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 you just helped us out. And, and that was the point that I was trying to make. I didn't go into as much detail then, obviously. But why do we think that the idea of pixies is ridiculous, whereas the trying God is like, oh, yeah, you know, mm, could be. He's and and j he just played the clip a moment ago where I said it's not the notion that pixies are ridiculous, whereas God isn't. And if I just had, didn't have God normalized to me, I would think God was ridiculous. No, it's not that. It's when you say special pixies that aren't material, it's just another concession. And when you give all the concessions necessary, you end up just describing God. But why are you going back to now to thinking, saying that I'm laughing that it's pixies when I just, it was just explaining the clip that you just played that, I don't know. Uh, to me, they're on roughly equal grounding, at, le at least uh, until we give further reasons for thinking it. Now, maybe those further reasons do hold up, right? I'm not saying that there can't be further reasons given, but just on the level of a Kalam, just on that level alone, why do we throw out pixies and laugh at that and say, Oh, well, actually, but it, it, you know, it might be a triune God. I don't see that there's anything ad hoc about what I've said, because these are fairly standard notions about pixies. The other thing I've said is, well, they're obviously they're immaterial uh, and, and uh, pixies that are outside of time. But of course, that's the same thing that the thing. Well, you said they were immaterial outside of time. You said so spaceless. You, you would have had to have said that um, you you have said you have spe speculated about their number, some indiscernible number, but it has to be more than three. So yeah, there's plenty of ad hoc stuff going on here to try to make them different. Come on, James. Come on.
doing that, taking the idea of a mind, which we're familiar with, and saying, well, it's actually a special mind outside of space and time. And, and in fact, perhaps they're doing more because they're saying it's all powerful and all benevolent. No, I didn't say it was all powerful and all benevolent. And I actually think the argument is one for a mind independent of a physical body. And we don't know of any minds like that. So, you know, if they, if they can alter properties and, and make these arguments, then you know, why can't the, the pixie theorists do that? So uh, for all the reasons I just gave you. So my question here is on the basis of, of how I've articulated the hypotheses, why should we prefer, at least on the basis of the Kalam per se, the Kalam per se, not other arguments, why should we prefer the triune God hypothesis over, or the Abrahamic God hypothesis even, over the, the pixie hypothesis? So I'd be very interested to hear what Braxton has to say about that. Listen to your heart's content. Yeah, yeah. And then he had issues with what well, you believe in Trinity, and it's like, I established the Trinity on other grounds completely right. apart from this. Trinity's one so, God. It's just even people who I think others in the YouTube community think of as, and I think are like really knowledgeable about some of this stuff. Um, the, 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 the things that they're criticizing, it's like, I'm not sure how much you like, have you, are you familiar with the responses to what you just said? Yeah, I don't it's know. The, the, the theological equivalent that you mentioned, the Trinity is like the amateur hour Muslim or the amateur hour oneness Pentecostal who says the Trinity means three gods, Father, <laughs> Father Son, and Holy Spirit are all, are all God. That's three. So that's, God, that's plural. And you're like, no, you're making a very, very basic pre-K categorical blunder about the difference between the category of being, which there is one, and person, which there is three in the Trinity. Yeah, I don't recall saying that there are three gods in the Trinity. My, my point was simply that there are... Uh, he didn't say that, and he hasn't even heard your video. What he said it was like, he said it was the that, that kind of response that whoever gave, maybe it was even the commenter, maybe it was you, but... He said it's like the sort of things that we get from these other groups. Hypotheses that are made uh, that are kind of a bit strange or different about, you know, the nature of the Trinity. And, and if we can say that about the creator, then why can't we say that about, about one hypothesis of the creator? Then why not another? Just as you can have three persons in one being, why not multiple pixies uh, in one pixie being? We don't posit the Trinity in the conclusion of the Kalam. And if you're going to posit... Uh, a trinity or something more than a trinity then you need to justify that reasoning so you know it's an analogous argument here that's a basic i mean by the time my kids could uh, started kindergarten they mm -hmm. understood the difference between because i would, would talk to my kids about the trinity and i'd say do you understand what the categories do you understand being do you understand person i'm a person you're a person. and they, they instantly my, my kid but maybe my kids were cut above uh everyone else's which is could be but they understood that. They've never had a problem. They've never made a simple. Do you understand being? Who was that philosopher who wrote a whole massive book on being that no one understands? It was like the German guy. Uh, I forget his name. Someone will remind me. But <laughs> do you understand being? I would say, no, we don't understand being. It's a very tricky concept uh, philosophically. I mean, I guess uh, Pritchett. Well, uh, Heidegger, thanks. That's the one. Um, we know from the end of the video, uh, maybe I'll play it, that, that Pritchett is several cuts above the rest of us, you know, in the in the in the smarts department. So maybe his kids are as well. Uh, so they've nailed the concept of being, and it's just you know straightforward, no issues, fully understand that, got it nailed. Um, and all the philosophers who've been trying to understand it for the centuries have, have just uh, are just smooth brains. But you know, okay. You know that first of all, um, I don't think Pritchett would say that, but secondly, Pritchett's kids are pretty awesome. The whole family is pretty impressive. Um, and then what I, what I really want to say about this is this whole, like what we've gotten a lot in this video and we get in a lot of videos is just a scoffing 
at what people claim to be or what people seem so confident about from like as if there's an extreme confidence in the person that they can't be that confident, right? <laughs> like I'm really confident that nobody understands this on the level that I'm, that, that, that this guy thinks he understands it. Right. That there's like a, an arrogance in that, like that's a level of certainty or confidence about certainty and confidence. But Pritchett is a really smart guy and uh, yeah, his kids might be the ones if there's, if there are kids who've, who've got it figured out, maybe it's his kids. Pre-K categorical error ever again. About the but you'll hear paid apologists make that. Mokin7 says, your debate with Dillahunty, Dillahunty has two L's, by the way, happened years ago. You yeah, okay. I don't actually care about that. Let me now skip ahead to, yeah, that was the Pixies. Okay, 57 is the next bit. Yes. On the column, which I think is great, Ivan J asks, what do you say? Wait, Ivan J, no idea who you are, but awesome uh, profile pick there say to the objection that just because the universe consists of time, space, and matter doesn't mean they couldn't exist before it. So when we say universe in this context, we're talking about all contiguous physical reality. Mm -hmm. That's why when we say universe, we're talking about if there's a multiverse, the whole thing, not just when people say our local representation of the universe. So all contiguous physical reality is a little bit unclear. That I, if, if contiguous, you mean like spatially and temporally contiguous, then I'm happy with that. That's basically all of space time. And that's a standard view about what would count as the universe. That's beyond our observable universe. That's sort of everything connected. Uh, you know, within space and time, but but note that that does not rule out um, materiality outside of space time, like some sort of primordial atom or or quantum fields or something like that, which is the point that I keep making, and apologists don't seem to. And which we played the physicists uh, responding to you about just a little while ago. Is it? Oh, that's an unfortunate pause position, but uh, don't seem to realize that it, unless you just assume that material has to be inside space and time. Uh, th then it's not established that you can't have a material cause outside of the universe. Well, it's not just assuming it. I mean, um, you, you heard the physicists say that the math doesn't work if you try to do that. It works fine the other way, but currently it seems like there's that's not the case. I mean, there's always the possibility, so ultimately we're going to be careful and say we don't know, right? We don't know for sure, but it seems like that can't be done. I would say that there are interesting debates about what it means to be material. Uh, I was just reading about this in this in this good book here, which I've plugged before, Introduction to Metaphysics. Well, it's just called Metaphysics, an introduction, but, you know, it's an introduction. Uh, and, and, you know, some people saying to be material is just to exist in space and time. Um, and, and sort of by that definition, then anything that existed outside of space and time would be immaterial. But, I mean, for me, that's not really a big deal because I could say, okay, so I think that there are possibly some types of physical substance that exists outside of space and time. And so we're not material by that definition. But I mean, I'd probably just then reject that definition of materiality um, and say something else. Um, I don't know, want to proffer precisely what a definition of materiality is. A another definition actually relates to the idea that it's something that can be described using physical laws and that doesn't have um, a fundamental, uh, uh, that, that, for, uh, that doesn't have fundamental like mental properties or something like that. So like irreducible consciousness wouldn't be material. So that's another possible conception. Anyway, I, I just sort of gesturing at the fact that there are disputes here about exactly what counts as material, but um, unless you're going to assume that there can't be materiality outside of space and time, which I think is um, not substantiated, then there's still a very open question is of being able to have a material cause of space and time. Well, I just want you to notice again, like what, what happens after many of these points is I'll make a point and then he'll just, the, the response will be, well, you know, it's not clear that you couldn't have matter with no space for matter to 
exist in or time for something to happen with that matter. That's not entirely clear to me. And maybe it's possible because of this and that and the other thing. And maybe we'd have to change the definition and redefine it to get to what I'm wanting to say. But but ultimately, it's possible there is some non-conscious thing that we could maybe call matter in some sense and all this. and all that. Is, is that what, what I think is going on is I'm saying something kind of straightforward and clean and um, and and the impression I think that he wants to give is that's naive and simplistic. And this is a whole lot more complicated than you're going to hear apologists talking about. So I'm going to talk about a lot of things that are probably impossible just to smatter across here um, that there are other possibilities so that your confidence in the argument itself will go down. But there wasn't like necessarily a refutation or something. And remember, uh, we're talking about with arguments, um, what's plausibly true? What, what's, what's most likely to be the case? It doesn't mean we have to have Cartesian certainty about it. So pointing out that technically it might be possible, despite what our physicist friend says, that you could have matter without space and time. Maybe there's, maybe there's some possibility of that. And that might get us off the hook of this. I, I, I just don't, that doesn't seem to be like, for doing philosophy of religion, you ought to chase down every corner. And so when I see Joe Schmidt and others doing stuff like that, that's fine. And maybe you, uh, James Foto, are doing that too. But when we're doing, when we're, tr when, we're, when, we're looking, when we're talking about what is most likely right now with what we have in front of us, what's most likely to be true? What, wh if we're looking for the truth right here and now, I don't know that that's the way to go about it is technically this thing that seems impossible might not be impossible. So uh, maybe that gets us out of it. Okay. We say universe, we're talking about the whole thing. If there's a multiverse, that anywhere you find time, space, and matter, that's what you mean. That's part of the universe. We're calling that the universe. So there could have been time, space, and matter prior to this our universe. local representation of the universe. Yeah. But that would be a further aspect of contiguous physical reality that still needs an explanation in precisely the way that the universe does. Now, I do like Dr. John Bloom at Biola. He's the archaeologist slash physicist. Two doctorates. And how cool is that in archaeology and in physics or whatever? Um, smarter than either one of us. He does like to posit some idea uh, in the sense of time, some sort of divine meta time instead of divine time. And I don't know what he's talking about when he says things like that, really, because it's it's to hear him talk is he's, he's on that other level that we're not on. But that's I, I'm, I'm not I don't balk at it because the reason why we get timeless, spaceless, you know, immaterial other than saying, you know, God is spirit. Um, we think God is not the cosmos. So whatever the cosmos is, God lacks those kind of properties. So stands the cosmos. This is what which what you do in the clump. But Back to Pritchett Given, Cam. I'm not personally opposed to positing ideas about a meta time. Like, I'm not scared when people bring that up because I don't think that affects even the Kalam. Whatever kind of divine sense of meta time that God may be tracking on that's not some sort of timelessness might be cool. I don't freak out about ideas. You know, open theists pretty much say this, posit something similar because they think that God is from everlasting to everlasting is not timeless. Um, but Dr. Bloom's not an open theist. He's a physicist in, in, in Indiana Jones. So I think the reason Pritchett's going on about this is because if you say that God has is in his own sort of divine meta time, then God is actually in time, uh, and and that would count partly towards him being material. Now it's interesting to me that um, if you think that God can no 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 the, the reason people posit a meta time for God is because there are some Christian thinkers who um, who don't like the idea of a static God sans creation. Um, who doesn't even think through a series of thoughts, but just statically is omniscient until a moment of action in which the universe comes into being. And so you get these views like conventionalism. Um, you get, uh, you get uh, this sort of idea of a meta time where uh, God is on a different timeline. And the, the, the primary reason is so that God can act basically outside of creating the universe. Um, but I, 
if, if Pritchett doesn't affirm that, he's saying I'm not against it. I'm against it because I think it would give us problems with the past infinite thing, um, past the impossibility of the past infinite for God's meta timeline. Um, so that's where I am on that. So he's going to talk about this a little bit and I'll leave it going just because I don't want to try and skip ahead and find my place, but that's not what I defend. Exist within some sort of metaphysical time. Why not metaphysical space as well? Why is it so different? Uh, this would actually, I think, sort of lend credence or, or un, uh, help us understand the idea that God is transcendent and also imminent, that maybe he's located at every like spatial location within the universe as well. I suppose that then that kind of moves in the direction of panentheism. Uh, yeah, God's transcendent in a, if he's in a spaceless, timeless, non-material state, and he's eminent in the sense that he is aware and active everywhere in the physical universe. That doesn't mean he is like he like his essence is the physical universe or something like that. Which I guess he's not diffused throughout the universe like a gas either. Christians might regard as heretical, but the point I'm making here is that when we're in these sort of realms, it becomes a bit murky as to exactly what we're even talking about. What where's the boundary between material and immaterial here? Uh, it, it's a little bit unclear if if we're allowing God to exist in time somehow, but it's not physical time. We're not. Sounds a bit like special pleading. Uh, I'm not special pleading. I'm not making that case. He gets around this, I think, by saying that God existed uh, timelessly sans the universe. And then when he created the universe at, at that you know first moment of time, then he entered into time. And in this very video you're responding to right here, James, I actually mentioned that I disagree with Craig. I, I, I get the benefit of what I think he's, he's working at there, but I have a slightly nuanced view. Uh, which is, you know, God's time, which is different from physical time and therefore provides a problem for the board gift Lincoln theorem, but that's a topic for another day. So anyway, I, I think that's what Pritchett's talking about here. Uh, and I think that just raises more problems, but whatever. I do think it raises more problems and that's why I don't use it. Jones guy, so um, those ideas are already out there. They don't forget. Uh, Shannon Q is in the chat. Welcome, Shannon Q. Brando says, what's the best way to tell a non-believer who learned deterministic thinking from our things from a Calvinist that we don't need to believe that, but do still believe the gospel? Okay, well, then now, first of all, um, oh, was that I, it? I thought there was more on the space-time part. I don't care about the Calvinism thing. Someone just asked a question. Hey! Gosh, I will say, the Calvinism discussion, frankly, is so much more interesting than often these discussions are. Who created Shannon Q? I never thought I'd say that. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that that's actually a question that has a meaning to it. More so uh, in what sen sense of created? In one sense, her parents created her. Right. In another sense, biology created her. But in a... You can see there's a really... <laughs> <laughs> top-notch hard-hitting uh apologetic content there <laughs> that is, it's like right what's up what's up with that like what why like why what is that even a dig at first of all that wasn't an apologetic point it was just a question how did shannon q come to be or who or what created shannon q in one sense her parents in one sense biology in one sense god i mean do you like do you take issue with that explanation from a Christian perspective or I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's like, it's filled with stuff like, it's like, why? What like, what was the point of that? Anyway, I, I think that's actually all I wanted to really cover here. Let me just, uh, cause there's, there's a lot of, I mean, I know I do long videos, but I feel like they don't really ramble too much. So I don't want to outstay my welcome here. I just wanted to share a little bit at the end here. Uh, Identifies a non-theist. Yes. Now, what was the timestamp I had? One thirty-five. So, just okay. Now, what he's about to do is he's about to. I think we're at the point now where it's somewhere around here where he's going to start talking about things that have nothing to do with the topic of this video. 
um, he's going to start talking and basically kind of mocking and making fun of primarily Pritchett, but both of us. But let's bring in Pritchett for this. A little bit about homonym to close out the stream, um, which I just think is funny. Uh, yeah, let's let's hear what Pritchett has to say around this oh, part. Like Derek this. says, "Quick, keep sending them super chats so they can't stop." Yes, I agree with Derek. <laughs> like, I don't do this for the no, money. No, you don't. No, no, I do this for the money. I want to say that, something okay, about this. We made that clear. He doesn't do it for the money. I have no problem saying that I do it. Pine Creek recently said. Um, I, I, say, I hope he clips those things out and says, see, he only ended for the money. That's why I say stuff like that. Well, Pine Creek said just a couple, maybe this week, I think he said, um, Braxton, he said, oh, yeah, someone asked him, do you think Braxton's just in it for the money? He's like, oh, yeah, he's in it for the money. Because now I do think he actually believes all this stuff, but he's in it for the money. Um, yeah, I'm actually not in it for the money, but if you send me money, I won't send it back. <laughs> oh, I mean, YouTube or Christianity in general? Like, who knows? I mean, everyone's got to have a job to pay the bills. Braxton believes this stuff. He's fortunate enough to be president of a seminary and be able to have a YouTube channel for which people throw money at him for reasons that escape us. What's the problem? That's just hating. That's just hater. This is being hate. Yeah. Um, well, okay. Looks good. I like Thanks to be my kids, so I do things for money. Don't give me more super chats because we're going to shut it down. Problem. That's just hating. That's just hater. This is being hater. Silly. Yeah. Um, well, okay. Looks good. I like Thanks to be my kids, so I do things for money. Don't. He's <laughs> just like, okay, we're moving on. Which <laughs> is just like, I do things for money, all right? I've got kids, okay? So I do things for Jesus, what absolutely. things do you do for money? It's like when you got something on your mind. <laughs> uh, he's really loving this, isn't he? I mean, he's like, the, 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 let's hear what he says before we comment. But I mean, this guy is about to fall out of his chair. I know. That, and and aren't you glad that I bring this kind of humor? E that even you do bring the entertainment. But he didn't laugh much before. I mean, he, he right. laughed. He laughed at. Uh, I guess what he and would. And it's consider. obvious that I say things exactly for this reason, right. which is exactly what I said in the clip that he played. And of course, do my bidding, atheist YouTubers. It's great. And that itself was another sort of thing you might say. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh dear. Although there are some atheist YouTubers who do, I think, a full time or close to it. Uh, there's a lot less money in atheism than there is in in religion or specifically Christianity. Well, okay. Depends First of all, avian, yeah, it, it depends on that. We're going to get into that, but let me just say something real quick. Um, that's because it's hard to get behind atheism. It's like, yeah. what am I giving toward? What's your mission? What's your goal that I got? I really need to get behind this. Let's keep just going. look at the numbers of people who are, are pastors or who work for a seminary or a university doing apologetic work, like Biola University, for example, um, or who uh, get paid to give talks or uh, write popular books. The numbers on the, the the sides are just not even comparable. What, Kevin Lewis? Did you hear that? What the You're rolling heck? in the money. You, Doctor Lewis, you are rolling in the money. Oh my down gosh, there at Biola! Wow, I man, I I I should. When I was on campus for my my uh, residency back in my Biola days, okay. Um, <laughs> even if he was rolling in the money, I mean, these folks live. Okay, I don't want to get on the California real estate. I mean, Nick Quint hears me rant about this all the time. Like their little chicken wire shacks that they live in, mm -hmm. uh, that are a million dollars. Way overpriced. They're like four hundred. Because the property and they fit like in my backyard. Yeah, you know, or they could fit in like like the game room that I have. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, they're it's but no, uh, people at Biola. Let's see. People at Biola don't. Oh, by the way, Jonathan went to Biola. Yeah, he's a graduate. They, they don't. Those professors don't. Make, These people are not rich. They don't. They have like their salaries look kind of high compared to like uh, say if you teach a pastor actually at Washita Baptist yeah. University 
right, in, in Arkadelphia, Arkansas, if you're a professor at uh, Washtenaw Baptist in Arkansas, your salary does not look like the salary of someone at Biola. But guess what? If you you may make a hundred thousand dollars less at Washtenaw Baptist and live better and live better. And here's another thing. Yeah. Let's say, he mentioned Pat. Can you be, can you even believe he mentioned pastors? Pastors. Uh, the average, pa- yeah, there are mega churches out there, but even in the mega churches, like, guess what? My dad in the 1980s pastored a mega church. He never made a hundred thousand dollars a year yeah. pastoring a mega church. Um, Ch- Charlie Wilson well, graduated yeah. this school, had a church of 8,000. I think I, I, I happen to know how much he made. It, it was not a lot. <laughs> the thing about it is most pastors are, who are pastoring mid to small size churches, they're yeah. making 30, 40, $50,000 a right. year. Yeah, this not. notion that pastors have all this money is a TV fantasy. Right, and and it's about eighty percent of all churches have less than seventy-five people. Okay, um, and and most pastors in those churches are bivocational. Filthy rich. Those bio- poor atheists—they can't make a living. Doctor Lewis, uh, we need you, fancy dinners. You need to. But most see most people, most the vast majority of the, of the history of the world, and the vast majority of the globe today thinks that the supernatural is real and that there's a God, or at least in some cultures, more than one God. But the reality is, so people don't mind giving to Christian stuff because like they want their son who um, is struggling with whatever to be impacted. And but so I bet they believe in the cause. Who have full-time jobs and a YouTube hobby that yeah. make more money off of YouTube than, yeah. than, than we do. And maybe yeah. even make more money off of YouTube plus our salaries. It's just, it's just a funny claim. Yeah, people feel sorry for us when they... Uh, there's very little money in popular atheism. I don't want to say there's none, but there's not very much. There's way more in popular Christianity and, and apologetics. That might be, Does that make... Way more, way more distributed. I don't think that too many people in Christianity are making... You know that whole 80-20 rule, like 20% yeah. of Christian YouTubers make 80 That may not... Oh, I wanted to say... Case, but, but yeah. I mean, there, there's more Christian... There's more money broadly, but... You know, I don't understand. I mean, I do think that even Jesus himself warned us against these sort of corruptions of, of religion. And the thing is that if you're making intellectual arguments for something and your job depends on you holding a particular set of views, in fact, that's explicitly true. I don't know if it's true for Braxton, but a lot of people working at Christian universities or colleges or seminaries have to sign documents, statements of faith to say that they adhere to very specific sets of belief. And Mike Lacona, for example, got in trouble because he demurred on some points that you know most of us would find fairly trivial. But uh, you know, he, he got in trouble for that. So the, the thing is, do you I think actually, I actually agree? Me it, too. The first thing that he has said that that you've sat me down to listen to that I actually can be like, yeah, you know, uh, Braxton does have uh, and I both. We, we have a doctrinal statement at Trinity that we have to adhere. What to. is it, Pritchett? Uh, well, it's it's basically the it, it, but but it's an affirmation of the uh Apostles Nicene and Athanasian creeds, and then a list of bullet points that pretty much state they're just ortho- it's just Orthodox it's Christianity. Like the, we we have a doctrinal statement that is the envy of all Christian institutions. Now I grant you, you're right. Um, if Braxton was not a Christian, I would go to the Board of Regents and demand that he be fired. Or if you rejected the doctrine of the Trinity at a seminary called Trinity, I would probably demand that you be fired. Yes. But other than that, what you basically affirm is 
the mere Christianity, yes. right? The paleo orthodoxy. Our our doctrinal statement, what our friends will not tell you and colleagues at other seminaries is that it's the envy of the world that that doctrinal statement is what you have to affirm. Yes. Which we're a Christian institution, so we believe Christianity. Well, yeah, to, to not do that statement as as a minimum would be like a mathematician wanting somebody wanting to get a math job, but they don't believe that two plus two equals four. Yeah. Now, yeah. but he is. Of right. course, you have to be a Christian to teach yeah. at a seminary. Yeah, but he is right, and I agree that other seminaries do it wrong. Other seminaries in Bible do college it and Christian wrong. universities. And then you lose people like Dr. Clay Jones at Biola. Yes, because eschatology, of an eschatological point that he's unsure about, which is something we talk about every time anyone in the chat says, "What's your views on eschatology?" Well, I mean, we there's this, 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 and you know. I mean, or you have people who want to affirm it, yeah. things that their that their doctrinal statement doesn't allow them to affirm. Right. So they write weird books that you, you, it's hard to make sense of because they're trying not to technically go against their uh, thing, yeah, their doctrinal statement, but they don't uh, in internally they don't affirm that doctrine. Yeah. Statement. By the way, uh, see, this is the kind of stuff I'm giving atheists more of what they want to clip out and say, see, he admits it. Well, I do. I'm, I'm fair. This was a fair statement. I'm going to say it does cause problems. There is, there needs to be a minimum standard. Trinity meets it. You're a Christian, right? But some of these that have harder doctrinal statements, that's okay, right? Do what you want, but don't be surprised when either A, people fall out from that doctrinal statement because they're convinced by scripture or B, they don't tell the truth because they don't want to lose their job. So in other words, you're right. That is a problem where it happens. Fortunately, it doesn't happen with us. Right. Because but, we have the right. And it doesn't doctrine. happen with everybody. Some people sign doctrinal statements because they're like, absolutely, I'm not going to believe anything but this and I never can be. Right. Is convinced. it possible, James, that people end up at those institutions because they, they agree with right. the standards of that institution? David Allen. David Allen believes every single thing in the Baptist faith and message. Hardcore. He would, yes. he would not yes. want to, he would not want to work somewhere that didn't have that as their faith, right. as their statement of faith. That's why he works at Southwestern because that, that statement of faith is everything that he believes. And he defends it so much as he goes to say that if you believe other things that other Baptists believe is in conflict with, with this, <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, right. That's, he's the right. nanny about the So Baptist. there's that group too. Right. So there's, there's all kinds of people like that who believe what, they, so what he's saying is a problem, but I think it's not a, it ain't a problem for us. It ain't a problem for us. And it's not a problem for everybody because there are David Allen's out there uh, who believe every jot and tittle of their statement of faith, even when I think that they're wrong. And that doesn't like, have any effect on on scholarship or on on the integrity of what you say. Of course it does. In every of other course, con- uh, 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 uh. Of course it can. Of right. course it can. Let's get our categories. Not of right. course it does. Like as if everyone has this issue. No, I agree with you. It can. Next, you have to. Um, you know, politics or business or whatever else. You have to uh, disclose conflicts of interest and you know disclose. You know where you get monetary payments from, and so forth. And I'm not saying that you know, Braxton's hiding the fact that he's a supporter or whatever, but but I'm just saying that the reason that these things need to be disclosed is is because they they do affect, often in subtle ways, you know how we think about things and and um, uh, you know what we find persuasive and so forth. I would be worried if I was getting money, uh, any significant amount of money to to do work that involved a particular set of of beliefs. Okay, um, okay, okay. Braxton, you get a 
paycheck. And I think you would say you agree with this statement that for both you and me, we would like our paychecks to actually even be a little bit bigger than they are. Right? Yeah, 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 sure. I, yeah. And there's really nothing wrong with that. <laughs> but you do receive a such as it is paychecks from Trinity, you know, so that you can put gas in your grandpa's truck that you ended up with. Um, but the statement of faith, is there anything, honestly now, is there anything about historic Christianity that all Christians everywhere have basically believed for 2,000 years that you have a problem with? Not a thing. Right. So given the fact that we can disclose, because it's on our website, this is what professors at Trinity need to say yes and amen to, which is stuff they said yes and amen to before they uh, ever was asked to come work for us, right? So so you're getting your money from Trinity, you get your money from uh, local churches, and you get your money from complete strangers. And then you also get money from books that you've written that state exactly what you believe about things. Very little. Them. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean... <laughs> Compared but yes. to Leighton Flowers, right? You could, I don't make near what Leighton Flowers, makes. right? You, but but money is not a, a okay. Maybe I no, because he's being nice. He's saying maybe not Braxton, which of course not Braxton. Why would this be? Why would this be the thing for Braxton? In fact, I think I think that Braxton could actually make more money doing. Lots of other things. Well, they've started, not James, but they've started, they, some atheists out there, have started saying, Christians always say this, I can make a lot more money doing something else. I have no reason to think you could make more money doing something else. Uh, I do. Um, that mega church in uh, Dallas that offered you a job, right after I packed up my family. I literally do know that I can make more money. Right well, after something. I packed up my family. To move to a state where we knew nobody, I'd never met you in person. Yeah. And like, I get here and it's like, shortly after that, this this offer's on the table for you to just pack up and move to Texas. Maybe Let's go on with this. Okay. I think this is just um, really kind of dodgy. Like, yes, I understand, you know, we have to support ourselves and families and so forth. And I'm not saying people shouldn't make money from things, but you, you, I don't think you can argue that there's no issue here or that it's not something that, you know, should be concerning, especially when you have, uh, you know, and this happens on Cameron's channel as well, when you have them making arguments and, and critic critiquing things, and then you just see the, the super chats roll in and it's all these donations. Like you don't think that if let me say something about this, because I, I thought of this this morning when I was in the shower, when I was listening to this, the thing is, you know, we have, you know, Brando and some of these others that are, that, that give us super chats are Catholics. And we regularly say uh, things about Catholicism. Benjamin Handelman, <laughs> Catholic guy. We, we regularly say yeah. things we think are wrong and false about Catholicism. Right. We regularly say, hey, we've got a lot of young earth followers. Yeah. that They send me emails trying to convince me that I'm wrong about old earth stuff. But guess what? We say things they don't like. There are things we say that the old earthers don't like. There are things people on both sides of the evolution discussion don't like that we say. There are things that the Arminians don't like and things the Calvinists don't like. And they give and and these are the I'm t I'm narrowing this to the group of people that actually are patrons or super chat. We have at least one atheist patron. 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 I always mess it up just like everyone I, does. I mess it up. But, but anyway, we have one atheist patron. He's like, I don't agree with almost anything you say, yeah, but right. I listen to this channel every day and get value out of it. Right. So, so the idea that we can't say what we really think yeah. because we're going to alienate our crowd, you might be right if I came out as an atheist, 
But good news, I'm not an atheist. By the way, it looks really awesome up here. This, I mean, I sit back there. You're sitting in the captain's yeah, chair. I know. This is. You're in the Han Solo seat. If pe if people could, <laughs> okay, so, yeah, that's that, that's the three PO seat. Yeah, yeah, I'm right? in the three PO seat. Yeah. Or Leia. Or Leia, yeah. Or Luke, or Obi Wan. The money actually does go to things yeah the money goes to make the show better right why are we still talking about this let's move but what i did want to say about cameron is what does cameron do that his belief he has on people that he doesn't agree with and christians that he agrees with on some things and some things not and he lets them argue and talk about stuff or he interviews someone and he asks questions he could do that if he was an atheist right and People like us want him to continue doing that. So if we throw five, ten, twenty, a hundred dot, whatever we throw up on the screen, I know you do that. Um, and when you when when Braxton's charitable, I take partial credit for for the super how, how they're interacting and the sort of things that they say. Um, is it an accident that in this video they picked a whole bunch of fairly low ball? I mean, some of the questions were okay, some of them were not so good. I picked out some of the more interesting ones, but you know, they're not the best articulated things, they're just YouTube comments. Do you think it's an accident they picked out those and then shoot those down? Maybe that makes better viewing than trying to respond to, you know, Alex Melpass or, or um, Oppie or, you know, even some of my videos where I go into, you know, Stanford's like, okay, we're responding to one of your videos now. We've responded to Alex Malpass, we've responded to Graham Oppie. Mm -hmm. So your point kind of falls apart. The reason we're responding to YouTube commenters, as I said earlier in this video, is because we're YouTubers. And when I see people in our comments to our videos who I think, okay, these, this is our audience. And the vast majority of the atheist comments on those videos are saying something like, you all just think you can jump right from the Kalam, the universe has a cause, to my specific version of Christianity then yeah, that's dumb, and I need to comment on that. Actually, he missed the. It's not dumb; it's ignorant. He, this 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 goes to show how he needs to focus more on when we announce that we have a subject, what that subject is, because he thinks, oh, they're just cherry picking YouTube comments that are low hanging fruit. No, they were all connected by a theme. One of those themes is they're reoccurring, and number two, they have to do with the Kalam, right? Mm -hmm. And we're saying the theme of this: stop saying this because we're seeing this. Over and over and over and over again. No, it's not picking lowball stuff for the sake of picking lowball stuff. It's picking the stuff people put in our YouTube comments. And by the way, who are thankfully, and I'll give our these comments that we do, I give them a pass because they didn't drop dissertations that we're never going to read if they're over five paragraphs. Sorry, not going to read. There were stuff. those. I didn't pick those. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I, we're not even going to read that. It's a waste right. of time. Plus, that was a good way to give us a show idea. It's like, hey, we see this all the time in the comments. So we're going to respond to this in our comments that it's like taking 50 comments over three streams and boiling it down into one episode and say, this takes care of this and all the others we didn't put on the screen that are exactly like this. All right. Well, so an idea for a video I have, uh, which will take a bit of research. So what I want to do is go through some of these videos or like maybe not in the videos, but common recommendations, like you need to read this book. You know, you, you've got to get Habermas's book on the resurrection and, and you've got to get this book on, uh, you know, the keener on miracles and you've got to get Lacona's book on the resurrection and you, you've got to get Craig on the Kalam and you've got to, got to get the Blackwell companion. You've got to get this book on free will, your quantum enigma. And I'm going to try to see if I can figure out, you know, what the total cost would be. You don't have to get those things, James. Actually, the, the, what we call the theistic arguments are simple enough that children can understand them, but they can be argued at a depth that philosophers can argue about them. But you don't have to have those things. Yeah. The reason those things become necessary is because of 
the atheist arguments so, that come. Wait a minute. So book recommendations. Pull that for, thing closer for, to your face. Book recommendations. So you're going to go to a bunch of different videos with a bunch of different people asking for, for books on a bunch of different subjects and say they're telling you to buy this one stack. Everyone needs this one stack of books that cost X amount of dollars. No, that's not how it works. This guy asked about this subject, so we're responding with this book for this subject for that person who asked, what book do you need for what? Yeah. And he goes and spends the 25, 30. We're not telling everybody to go get all the works possible. Uh, every every time we recommend a book, you need, everyone needs to buy all books that we ever recommend. That's not how this works. And he'll discover that when he goes through the videos and say, oh, wait, this idea that I just came up with to see how much it costs to have all these books, it doesn't cost everyone that much because they're not telling the same person to get that book. Yeah, well, it's a, there's a common atheist trope out there that yeah. says that Christians say, oh, well, if you haven't read all these books, then you're, then you don't, you're not justified in being an atheist. But the thing about it is, and, and I got a lot of that in my 10 questions video when I said, what, what are the last three books that you've read? And you know what a lot of people said? Well, why should I have to read books? I like to watch YouTube videos. I got several like that, but the thing is, um, that wasn't saying you have to have read this big stack of books to be justified in believing. It's just saying, let, what are, I just want to know if on these theistic arguments in the resurrection case, just show me that you're like, do I have reason to believe that you are engaging with good content? You could have one or two books on that. Yeah. When people ask me, people ask me all the time for book recommendations. I just, my last video on Trinity, uh, Radio Extra was book recommendations because people always ask, what do they need mm -hmm. for this, that, or the other? I can't really. The and problem I'm, with sitting back here for me is because I can't hide my stomach as as much as I'd like to. And I've fallen off the Pritchett workout routine. Bought all these books on Amazon. How I much money you have to have that. to like be, you know, fully, you know, safe in, in your views and be able to refute all the arguments and so forth, uh, which I think is kind of interesting because they, they don't appeal, they don't refer to like blog posts or journal articles so much that you could potentially get free. It's always, you know, it's always things you have to. Now that's a bit of a catch for me too. If we referred to blog articles and stuff you could get for free, the response would be that we don't re re uh, provide scholarly though. type yeah, stuff. Yeah. Books you have to buy. Oh, but speaking of which, <laughs> uh, in a response to us, you can't do that because we send people to braxtonhunter.com or or what yeah and there's what do you have on your uh braxtonhunter.com blog articles right and have we ever told anyone to go read any of them ever in the history of this channel we haven't but they're there yeah we have i i recommend yeah sometimes we yeah. do every time someone brings up that old canard about can you have free will in heaven i've got an article that i point yeah. them to my favorite was the mopeds and morality <laughs> that was my favorite blog article. that's pretty good not always Thank but often you. Now, I'm going to say, this has been fun. I've enjoyed it. But we'll see you next time on Trinity Radio. Radio.